You're listening to Pitch Perfect, the podcast, not the movie. I'm your host, Nate. Joining me is my co-host, Josh, who you might know from his work as the lead mocap artist on the film Delgo. But we're also joined by a guest, our friend, Zach, one of the co-hosts of the Nerdy Neighbors podcast. Say hello to the people, Zach. Hello to the people. Josh, you probably also say hello. I kind of skipped over <laughs> you in my excitement to introduce our guest. That's fine. Hello. Welcome to The Importance of Being Earnest. That insipid boyish grin. The smug self-regard. Tell the truth. Does his very existence diminish you? Diminish us all? Can you imagine a better world? A world without Ernest P. Worrell? No, we can't. As such, the infamous hero is now the man of the hour. The best being in a position to use his amazing powers in a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Ernest has assumed the disguise of a lowly janitor and occasional grandma, with lofty goals of becoming a bank clerk. That's right. Welcome to The Importance of Being Ernest, where my co-host and I and our guest talk about Ernest's incredible legacy and how things might have been different if our hero Jim Varney hadn't returned to his home planet so soon. Yep, this is episode three of season one of Pitch Perfect, the podcast, not the movie. Of course, this is the podcast where each season we pick a category of films. We watch a sort of survey of films in that category. Sometimes it's all of them. It's not always going to be all of them. Uh, We learn what we can from them. At the end of the season, we pitch our perfect film for that category. So, you know, we're going to get to the end of the season. We're going to pitch the perfect Ernest movie. But in the meantime, we we watched Ernest Goes to Jail. But I think we got uh, some business to discuss beforehand. Well, first of all, if I may, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you so much for being letting me be here. Nate, you're, I'm always inspired by your, I mean, we know when we play D&D, your strong character choices. Mm-hmm. Your Twitter is the funniest thing ever. Aww. You make me feel not funny. <laughs> I'm sorry. Josh, Josh, you know, hi, man. How's it going? Um, that, uh, no, just, <laughs> wow, that's no. fine, that's fine, it's not like I, uh, um, I've done movie work before, you know, I was a major mocap guy, but you know, whatever, it's fine, it's fine, let's acknowledge Nate and his, uh, 200 followers on Twitter. The way you transformed yourself on, for your, uh, your work and the, your, your physical transformation in that, for that mocap work was stunning. <laughs> um, you. but no, seriously, thank you guys both for being here, um, or letting me be here because I kind of begged you to let me do the show. <laughs> it kind of would have been crappy to not let me because I begged. <laughs> I mean, we had to bump all number of wheels to get you on this show. <laughs> yeah, our apologies to Wheel Damon. Oh, not bad, not bad. That's fine. So, um, like, uh, I, I, I've, I've listened to the first two episodes. I love them. Um, it made me even more excited to... Uh, do the show with you guys, but I have a I have, I have a question, which is what what's your guys's earnest like origin story? Because you both are a little bit younger than me, and it kind of perplexes me that not so much that you're aware of them, but that you have a passion for them. So, like, what's your kind of like, Josh? Let's if you if I may, where'd your love for Ernest start? Well, uh, there's a difference between my love for Ernest and the love of Ernest for this podcast. Uh, but for personally me, I think uh, I just stumbled into his movies as a kid and enjoyed them. And uh, I don't actually really remember which ones I saw as a kid. 
Like they're all really? a big earnest blur. You know what I mean? Okay. So uh, when Nate and I got together with a, a third friend who's executive producer of the show uh, and decided that we were going to really dive deep into these earnest movies, it was just like revisiting an old friend. And uh, it's been a fun journey so far. Yeah, I, like, when I was a kid, and to, well, okay, I am a huge fan of slapstick comedy, like, in general, and even more so when I was a kid. Like, I was, when I was younger, I was, like, totally obsessed with, like, Chris Farley and Jim Carrey, and Ernest was just kind of, like, an extension of that. Like, it was another franchise of movies that had, like, a lot of wacky slapstick comedy and, like, an over-the-top character, and I would watch them with my dad a lot of the time. Like, I would go over to his place on the weekend we would rent a movie and like he liked them and I liked them. And so we would rent the earnest movies. I saw most of them on VHS when I was a kid and it's always sort of like, uh, you know, stayed with me as like, he's a really fucking memorable character. Yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, it's not, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Josh, for you, it sounds like it's almost like Ernest has always been with me, Zach. I couldn't tell you when it started. My life has just always had... A... When there was one set of footprints, that's when Ernest carried me. You know what I mean? <laughs> and may Ernest also be with you. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like, like I said, I listened to the first two episodes. I've actually never seen Ernest Goes to Camp. It just never came across my desk. So, listening to that show was amazing, um, and finding out, I had no idea there's a Native American element to that movie. <laughs> and then also finding <laughs> Why out... Why would you? It's, it's the Italian gentleman from the 70s pollution commercial was a wild revelation for me. <laughs> and <laughs> that, I mean, gentlemen, if nothing else, you're doing the Lord's work for me in moments like that, where I'm just like, uh, wow. <laughs> um, and then there was the Christmas episode. Mm. Mm. Hmm. So, all right. I, I I think I remember messaging you guys kind of my earnest resume and and mentioning in it the Christmas one might actually be a good film. And uh, Nate, I guess, kind of politely nodding, and Josh going, "Hmm. Uh, wait till you listen to our take on that." <laughs> and I I just I. All right, in my all right, number one, wild revelation from that. I had no idea that Santa Claus was the Sultan, and that they just animated the Sultan to basically look like that. I mean, I, I, I mean, whether they did that on purpose or not, that was a wild revelation for me. <laughs> I remember, like, we because Josh mentioned it, like, before the sort of like precursor to this podcast was like this period where over a couple weeks. He and I and Ruben were just, like, hanging out, and we would we would hang out and watch movies all the time, and we just started watching the Ernest movies in, like, a random order. We'd just be like, oh, let's watch fucking, oh, let's watch an Ernest movie, and then we would watch an Ernest movie together. We watched Ernest Saves Christmas, and I didn't remember that it was the same dude, and, like, the second he walks out and starts talking, and it's the Sultan's voice, I remember having a moment where I was like... It feels weird to see that coming out of that voice coming out of a real flesh and blood person. <laughs> it's like if a dude walked up and he just had like Barney's voice. You'd be like, "Right, what?" Yeah, or yeah, that that was wild to me. But the my my biggest takeaway. I, I'm not here to defend that movie, although I just I do want to stay for say for the record. 
I, I disagree. That movie's still pretty solid. And I think the thing that makes it most solid is that it could exist without Ernest. Now, hear me out. And we talked about this off mic, I think, when we watched uh, the, the movie we were here to talk about this week. Is There's this weird element in these movies of of old writer guys mm-hmm. and and that it does feel like a script someone had in their desk for like a santa claus episode of a sitcom or a movie and they were just like yeah we'll put some earnest shit in here yeah well i i i do wonder if like part of our i don't even necessarily want to say negative i guess it, i'll say it was a negative reaction in that movie is that we're just so focused on earnest the character Right. That, like, if we were coming in without that sort of baggage, if we would just be, like, able to enjoy it as, like, a light Christmas adventure movie that just happens to have this one wacky character in it. But, I don't know. Right. That, for me, it's just, like, it's a fun... I I love Christmas a lot. And so, it's like, you're giving me a Christmas movie and Ernest is in it? Like, everything's coming up Zach today. Like, so, (laughs) I, I can't say you guys were particularly wrong with any point you made but i just i'm never not gonna love that movie and when the deer or when the reindeer are on the roof and the guy just points to him man that's high comedy for me nothing's better i'm sorry zach but i gotta dig my heels in here i mean first and foremost we're on a mission and our mission is about earnest so we we gotta you know focus heavy in on the earnest aspect and if you take away earnest from this Christmas movie, because he's not even the main character, as we've talked about. If you take him away from this movie, is that movie still good? And I unfortunately would say no. I think it would still work as a movie without Ernest, like, because he doesn't really impact the plot too much. I think it'd be really yeah. boring. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, the thing is, you hit the nail on the head on your episode. That movie without Ernest is the Santa Claus. I mean, yeah. it just is. So. Well, it's wor- It's a worse <laughs> version of Santa Claus because it doesn't have, no, like, I... that character that you can, like, rally around. You know, Ernest right. is a character in that movie, but Joe Carruthers, Santa Claus himself, Pamela, even the luggage carry guys, like, they all aren't somebody that you can rally around. That's also, like, yeah. I think about that movie and I'm like, it, it mu- you're right, I think. It must have been a script that somebody had lying around because that is a, in no way how, if you ask me, to write an earnest Christmas movie, or to write a movie with Ernest and Santa Claus in it, even like that is there in a million years I wouldn't arrive at the plot of that movie because I I would be like oh like Ernest accidentally knocks Santa Claus out and then he has to be Santa Claus for the night. It's like that's the Ernest Christmas movie, right? Why is it not that? Well, I I mean, look, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but if you're asking me to write an Ernest movie, Santa Claus needs Ernest's help because mm-hmm. Ernest is like you know. Uh, a great inventor or something like that or he's pure of soul and they have to go into some kind of you know he needs Ernest's help so it's not even like an accident it's yeah. Ernest is the chosen one and Santa needs like you know they're going out on an adventure they get handcuffed together and it's like midnight run but with Ernest and Santa Claus <laughs> I want to be clear I'm not saying you should take Ernest out of that movie I'm saying you could but you shouldn't yeah. and also I'll take anything with Ernest baby and I, I and again I love Santa I love Christmas, so. And that's it. I mean, that's my that's my little anecdotal, I don't yeah. know. I think also part of it might be that Josh and I are just not big Christmas boys. I mean, well, one, Josh is Jewish. And yeah. two, <gasps> uh, I'm not a big Christmas, I'm just not a big Christmas boy. 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> that that came through because man, the rules of Santa Claus really bothered you guys. I, I, I don't know why I got so hung up on that, but it really bothered. It really did. Well, look, we all like have lived through this era where we've seen Fred Claus, and no movie can compare. So You're joking. we have to I move do on. Actually, like that movie. I actually really do like that movie too. So. I, I think I have a weird thing about the Christmas rules because I had this, like, moment when I was a kid where I stopped believing in Santa Claus, like, pretty early on. Clear. Uh, but clear. I was, like, I pretended I didn't because I was, like, what if, you know, like, what why would I continue to get presents if I didn't believe in Santa Claus? Like, if he's not real, he's not going to give me shit. I, I got the impression. Here's where my impression was Josh, Josh has no connection to Christmas and Nate's been burned somehow. I don't know when. <laughs> I don't know how. I'm also one of those people where my birthday is like literally two days before Christmas, so I've had the like Christmas and birthday smoosh together thing my entire oh, life. There you go. There you go. Uh, yeah, I'm, I thank you for indulging me, gentlemen. I don't want to go too far down this because it's not what we're here to talk about this week. Yeah. Also, weird thing about me and neither me and Josh being big Christmas boys, but like one of the movies he and I have together watched the most is Jingle All the Way. Ah, Turbo Man! <laughs> We've also watched the sequel, which is no, not good. <laughs> We've also watched Krampus together. My favorite line in that movie is, My dad's Turbo Man? Oh, uh, my favorite line in that movie is, Put that cookie down! <laughs> <laughs> Alright, hold on, hold on. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We're not in our Arnold season yet. That's like way in the future, where we cover Jingle All the Way and other great movies that he's done. But... I think we need to talk about what we saw this week. Yes. Let's get into it. Ernest goes to jail. Let's. Do you want me to give a summary? I can do it. I can do it pretty quickly. Yeah, give us Ernest that summary, a, buddy. Ernest works at a bank. He's a janitor. He has ambitions of being a bank clerk. He has a crush on a woman that works there. I think she is a bank clerk. Or a mm-hmm. teller named Robin. Nope. Also, our old friends. Uh, her name is Charlotte. Her name is Charlotte. Why did I say her name was Robin? Was what? that the little girl from the last movie? No, I think I just pulled that out of nowhere. <laughs> no. um, I have it as Charlotte in my notes, too. Uh, anyway, they... Um... Do you want to start again? No, it's fine. No, this is staying in. Uh, at the same time that Ernest is working at the bank, there is a case going on uh, where a man has murdered another man in jail. This is a weirdly dark setup for an Ernest movie. And this guy is being put on trial, and Ernest, by sheer coincidence, gets selected for jury duty on this trial. And he just so happens to look exactly like the murderer's, like, crime boss, who is this man named Nash. He looks exactly like Ernest, Ernest looks exactly like him. Reuben, the murderer, unrelated to our friend Reuben that we mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, (laughs) (laughs) concocts this plan with Nash to lure Ernest to the prison by getting the defense lawyer to argue that the court case should take place in the prison, which is very weird, and then luring Ernest off, knocking him out, and having him switch places with Nash, which was what happens. Ernest ends up in jail under a case of mistaken identity. Nash takes his place at the bank and begins concocting a plan to rob it. Uh, Ernest is supposed to take Nash's death sentence and die, uh, thanks to some electro powers he gained earlier in the movie, he survives being put in the electric chair, escapes from prison, foils Nash's robbery, and clears his name, I guess. And that's basically the end of the movie. 
it, not to pick Nick's nits, but I don't think he gets those powers in the beginning. I think we just learned in the beginning that oh. if Ernest is electrocuted, he somehow becomes magnetized. Like there's I, no like I have I have my take on that and how that <laughs> figures into the Ernest timeline. But yeah, okay, you're okay. You're right. Uh, before we get into our timeline theories and going back and forth on that, because I'm sure we'll have a lot. Uh, let's rate this movie. So Ernest goes to jail. Rating. Uh, let's start with you, Zach. What do you, what would you rate this movie? Maybe out of ten or out of five. Um, this is like solid, kind of down the middle for me. I, I, all right. I'm. I want to say four, but I'm gonna say five. Mm. There's some mm. really problematic stuff in this movie, yeah. and um, um, and it at times make commits the worst sin of any movie, which is that it's a little dull at times for me. So right down the middle at five. Okay, Nate. Uh, so I believe I gave Ernest goes to campus six. Mm-hmm. We both did. I think I'm gonna give this the same rating. I think that this what the like. The algebra, this is probably not a right use of the term algebra, that I'm doing in my head is, like, Ernest Goes to Camp, I think, is a more, like, solid, well-made movie overall, uh, Mm -hmm. with a more sort of, like, clear and coherent plot. But I think that this movie makes up for that by being even crazier than... (laughs) Ernest goes to campus, and that's what I'm I'm in it for. I like absurd shit. Like when Ernest is using electricity powers to escape from prison, like that's that's speaking to me in a very deep and personal place. Uh, oh. So I think it evens out to being on the same level as Ernest goes to campus. It's just got different strengths. Okay, uh, for me, I actually put this in between Ernest goes to camp and Ernest saves Christmas, where I gave it a five, more according with Zach, out of ten. Uh, it is more crazy, and that is very enjoyable, uh, but it's definitely offbeat, and, uh, you know, there, it, you actually mentioned this about Ernest Saves Christmas, like, if you told me that this was one of the straight-to-DVD Ernest movies, I would 100% believe you, because just the way it feels, uh, there are parts mm-hmm. of this movie where it just, like, it feels, like, so cheaply made, that it just feels like a lesser quality in general. And that's why I take it down from Ernest Goes to Camp and put it in between at five. Yeah, this movie has like a very like made for TV movie kind of feel to it. Mm -hmm. Which I don't, I don't know how to quantify that or like even really explain what I mean. But like, I think they all do until you get to Halloween. I, I remember Halloween feeling like it had some production value. It's another one I haven't seen for a while. But I know exactly what you guys are talking about, where it's like, it feels grainy, the sets look like they're made out of paper. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but like that's like, I, I would just accept, like, eventually we're going to get two straight up, straight to video movies. So like, I'm not really letting that bother me too much, but I totally understand where you're coming from. I don't I mean, know why when, that when is. When it's like, like so um, I'm sorry, continue. I said, I don't know why that is. Like, Ernest Goes to Camp looks like a real movie. That was released in theaters. And neither Christmas nor Jail really look like that. But I think Zach is right. Because I'm like, I'm picturing Scared Stupid in my head. And it's like, it looks like a real movie. So I don't know, maybe these ones just had less budget. Or maybe they're just really bad transfers from like whatever the home video release was. 
Well, for me, you know, when you see a straight-to-home release, you're like, okay, there's an expected nature here of, like, mm-hmm. this movie is not going to be as, uh, like, well-made as something in theaters, perhaps. Uh, however, like, going into this movie and knowing that it was shown in theaters and seeing that it feels more like a straight-to-DVD, I just, I feel like I should factor that into my rating because it just takes the quality a step down. Hmm. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's fine. This is, like, I totally get what you're saying. I'm just, I think I'm just, I think I'm just more forgiving of that shit. Also, can you imagine seeing this and, like, I'm just thinking about that as we're having this conversation. Like, this kind of shit does not get released in theaters now. No. What is the equivalent to Ernest that exists now? It's like Paul Blart, maybe, but the last Paul Blart movie came out, like, four years ago. I think it's exactly that. It's like those Sandler E feel, feeling movies are kind of like that. But it's it's. I mean, we probably shouldn't get on. The, I don't know if this is this type of show, but like there was a time in film where as long as it was okay, you could still keep making your movies. Like mm-hmm. as long as you made a little bit of profit. Like now, films like have to be slam dunks or they don't get made. Yeah. So it's just you know it's you know twenty it's years a, ago it was just a different you could make movies just for kids yeah. which is oh, this well, for kids but <laughs> and the expectation is oh we'll make like you know we'll make five million on this or whatever and it's considered a win. Oh yeah, we're definitely in a space like I don't want to be the dudes that are are like complaining about the state of films, but we are kind of in a place now where it feels like every like major studio release has to simultaneously be for kids and adults. Mm-hmm, and so right. everything just kind of ends up feeling like having this, like this more of like a homogeny of tone. Right. Like, yeah. uh, for example, uh, a good example, uh, is like Pixar's inside out has a reference to LA confidential in it. And kids are never going to pick up on that, but adults will. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. like, I don't know. That's, that goes it's... back. Lots of, lots of, lots of kids stuff had weird, references people weren't going to get like fucking the animaniacs were like constantly like referencing bill clinton and doing like peter laurie impressions yeah but that's okay well all right no i have a we have to talk about his impressions and we're not there yet okay. we are I'm not there. there yet yeah 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 <laughs> let's go back to this all right so let's uh let's uh get ourselves back in focus here we're here to talk about yeah. Ernest, and boy oh boy do we mean to uh so let's Let's talk about this this film. Like, what are the essential elements that we find in this film? What are the A and B well, plots? Is... Let's start with like the main character of this film, of course, uh, which thankfully this time is Ernest. Successful, yeah. Successfully, there, we can't even argue that there's a. It's absolutely Ernest. The focus is on him. It's his show. This felt like I don't know. It felt nice, like getting back into this, and he's so earnest. <laughs> he's so earnestly earnest in this movie as compared to the the kind of slightly off and slightly out of focus earnest in saves christmas like this right. was like a triumphant like this oh like he's more he's not quite exactly the same as the character in camp i think he's more cartoony and almost more maybe more childish even than I he was more i would like i wrote so many times for better or for worse but mostly for better this guy really reminds me of bugs bunny yeah, mm, mm. there's a lot of there's the Looney Tunes stuff is ramped up and the Pee Wee stuff is ramped up. Josh and I talked a little bit in our the Ghost of Camp episode about the influence of Pee Wee's Big Adventure on the Ernest movies, and that feels like it's like totally amped up to the point where we see his house and he, it's basically like redneck Pee Wee 
Playhouse. For sure. Uh, But before we get to that, I just want to make a direct parallel, because we haven't talked about Ernest Saves Christmas a lot. Uh, When this movie starts off and we get our opening, instead of looking at uh, pictures of weird, creepy Santa Claus, we have 100% a Bond-esque, aggressive, rock, Ernest-focused, goes-to-prison, runs-around opening. Yeah, Yeah. I like the opening of this movie a lot. It's a lot better than... the the weird Santa Claus slideshow that we got in uh, Ernest Saves Christmas. Mm-hmm. Like, I do want to note one thing that bothered me about it, but please continue. Uh, it's it's like, I don't want to say that it's this opening is stylish, but it's like really going for something. It's stylized, but it's also got like a kind of a charming cheapness to it because i think the thing that they're going for the, like, the vibe they're trying to achieve in this is like you said like you mentioned bond but like that kind of like slick 60s saul bass alfred hitchcock sort of like opening credits but instead of like actually animating them and doing the design work required for those they just have like cut out like high contrast black and white stills of Ernest that are like flip booked of him, like, running around doing crime stuff and getting stuck in jail and and all of that. So it's like, I dig that they're going for that vibe. But I also, the fact that they kind of do it in a slightly cheap way almost makes it more endearing to me. And there's also this, like, I'm sorry, Josh, I know you have a thing. There's also this, like, wonderful, I, I hope I can describe this correctly, like, 90s color palette that's happening. Where it's mm. like... It's this weird green that all I can say is like, yeah, that's like a 90s green. And then there's like this Hot Wheels blue and then like orange. And it's like, hell yeah, strap yourself in. <laughs> yeah, it definitely feels very like 90s, maybe even like cartoon opening. Um, yeah. But the, the thing that bothered me the most, because at one point, uh, as Ernest is sneaking around trying to escape from prison and getting caught and etc. Uh, we see Ernest next to a noose and he cringes and runs away. And that just felt like it got too dark. But okay, it's... well, I'm sorry, Nate. I, at one point, he's filing. He's filing a bar. And then he stops. And I swear, I, re- I should have asked to rewound it. He started stroking the file. Which was like, what was that? What just happened? <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know if I picked up on that. Look, yeah. I, I guess on one hand, I do agree that, that maybe invoking the image of Ernest getting hanged is maybe too grim. You think? But, but, I disagree, because but, it's he's going to jail. It's like all the trappings of prison. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, the That's trappings of prison is getting is hanging yourself. Ernest didn't kill himself. But, I mean, I think that opening is trying to invoke, like, like a classic, like, prison break movie. And that, that yeah. like, the danger of, like, they're, well, they're gonna hang us is, like... That's a thing in those. And also, he gets the electric chair at one point in this movie, so it's not like... I know, I know, but it's like the opening of this film. Like, we even talked about this a little bit, where, like, we talk about Ernest is kind of a kid's movie. But, like, you know, the opening of this film starts with him running from a noose in a kid's movie? Not great. Hmm. I don't know, it didn't bother me. And I love when he makes that goofy, scared face, so it was just fun. I will be alone. So in he's this. Wa- is he is he is he foaming the like? I understand that he's a nighttime custodian. Mm. I don't know why that would be an all night job, but sure. Um, well, he's waxing it, but, the floor oh, of the bank the after okay. everybody has 
I think that's what he's doing. Yeah, yeah that's everybody's what he's doing. gone. So he has to do that when the bank is empty. Yeah. Are we are we going to talk about how how we are introduced to Ernest in this film? Yes, please. That's, well, so we're introduced to him earlier. It's a nighttime and he's he's waxing the floor. Then wacky hijinks happens, and like from the jump, this movie is like mad cartoony because he oh. his like floor waxer thing goes haywire, and he like rides up the wall onto the ceiling, and then electrocutes himself on the chandelier and becomes magnetized. And then we get a long sequence of him. Attracting, like, he's in a bank. Like, there's lots of metal stuff. And it ends with him running into the vault and the cabinets are chasing him, which was funny. Yeah. I thought uh, you were actually going to talk about how we're actually introduced to Ernest in this movie. Because we is do it... see him do that, but the way we're introduced to Ernest is even weirder. Uh, because we have our two uh, wonderful characters from Havern and other uh, Ernest stuff come in as security guards who are casing the joint and hear a sound and go up to shoot an in, what they think is an yeah. intruder, and it's it's just Ernest doing his job. Yeah, so that's right. another thing. It goes right from that opening where Ernest runs from a noose to this intro sequence, or it goes right from that intro where Ernest is, is almost runs away from a noose into this opening where Ernest is almost shot by the security guard. So there are those two dudes, the two guys. We constantly, there's the chefs and goes to camp. They're, they are the same guys as the customs well, agents. One of them is the chefs. Well, no, no, that's what I'm saying. There's always the two guys. Right. I'm talking about the two guys as the characters, as the as an archetype. Not necessarily mm. these actors, but I'm saying specifically this time, the two guys are the same actors as the customs agents. Uh, we got uh, Gaylord Sartain and Bill, I think it's Berg. I kept calling him Bergy. Before when we were talking about him, but it's like B R it's B Y R G E or something like that. I, I think it's Bill Berg, but they are Chuck and Bobby here and they're security guards and they almost uh, execute Ernest. And they love guns. They love guns, especially Bobby, right? Right. Who's not Gaylord Sartain? That's uh, that's uh, Bergy. I feel like they both love guns equally. Well, no, uh, specifically Bobby is a gun nut, uh, because, like, there's a certain point where he, like, shoots a gingerbread man, and, uh... That pops out of a toaster. What's that? The gingerbread man pops out of a toaster. Yeah. <laughs> Which is even weirder. <laughs> Why are you putting a gingerbread man in a toaster? <laughs> they both definitely love guns, but one of them always has a gun and basically never talks and communicates almost exclusively through shooting his gun. Yeah. Uh, and they have the biggest role in this movie uh, that they've had so far, uh, because they're like friends of Ernest, uh, and they work yeah. with Ernest, as opposed to just like that one interaction from other movies. Yeah, and they trust him enough to reveal where their secret security gun is, which is an important plot point later in the movie. Yeah. Uh, but let's get back to Ernest himself. So uh, he... Has that whole scene that's extremely cartoony, uh, which is great. I think the cabinets uh, chasing him around corners was pretty funny. Yeah, there's uh, like a part where he hides behind a sign, and the cabinets are like shuffling around, like they're like like they they're supposed to just be attracted to him because he's got magnets. But then they sort of gain some sort of like awareness, and they're like menacing him actively. I thought that was pretty. Yeah, cool. it becomes personal for the cabinets after a certain point. Yeah, they're basically like office Daleks. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Ernest ends up being locked in the vault overnight. 
uh, because he was hiding from the cabinets. And then uh, Charlotte, his co-worker, finds him and helps him partially clean up the bank before the boss gets there. She says, "She says, Ernest, this is the biggest mess you've made yet. Implying... <laughs> this, he's always making a mess. I always... And I, I partly wondered, is this... Ha- does he get magnetized a lot? I th- well, he does through this movie. Yeah, so right now, like, it, like, I know we're not at the timeline point yet, but, like, is he just at a point in his life where he's like, I, I try not to get electrocuted because I get magnetized? No, I think this is supposed to be the... I think he's made a bunch of messes, but it's never escalated to the point of magnetization until this night. Because he seems pretty surprised by it. I mean, also, it's earnest, like, this could have happened a million times and he probably would still act surprised. But I think this is supposed to be the first time. Yeah, okay. There's this little bit he does when he, he points at one of the cabinets and he goes, that one was the worst one. That really made me laugh. <laughs> it's the leader. <laughs> yeah, that, that, thank you. Yeah, that's <laughs> so after uh, Charlotte helps him clean up, we uh, find out uh, his he's trying to make an impression on the boss, uh, which he affectionately calls Mr. Poodle Smurf. His name is Mr. Pendle Smythe. He calls him Mr. Poodle Smurf. There's a couple of times where he fucks up his name, but the funniest one is the first one where he calls him Poodle Smurf. <laughs> yeah. That really got that really got Nate. And he talks about wanting to be a bank clerk, but he like I don't even think he knows what a bank clerk is by the way he talks about it. It's I mean what he just knows that it's a more respected and higher paying position than the one he has now. And he will be the financial king. He's gonna, he be, he's gonna move uh, accounts around like pieces on a financial chessboard. He has like a whole monologue about how powerful he's gonna be when he becomes a bank clerk, right? Which is like I don't even think he knows what he's talking about. But he understands what it represents, and I think it's it kind of speaks to your guys' theory of like Ernest is a kid. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's like when a kid says he wants to be an astronaut or something like that. It's 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 in the vein of that. It's like but he's he just talking about being a bank clerk. Is, yeah, he he loves those type of monologues where he's showing off. He knows the lingo, baby. But so his ambition to be a bank clerk introduces us to a sort of strange theme in this movie, uh, like. He has this conversation with Charlotte where that she's talking about him being a bank clerk. Um, and he's like, oh, Mr. Poodle Smurf hates me. And she's like, look, Ernest, you just got to trust in the system. And so, but then it's like, the rest of this plot of this movie is that the system almost puts Ernest to death for crimes he didn't commit. And he's only really saved when he uses his electro powers to physically destroy the prison. Like, so, the re- a representation of the system. So, I think, ultimately, Ernest Goes to Jail is an anarchist fable. <laughs> I saw this coming. I, just, I knew it. Well, you know me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Well, and then she... This is... Here's a weird element, is... After he really, you know, screws up with Poodle Smurf... Uh, Poodle Smurf. Boy, he's, he's... Yeah, that's what I said. Um, he's mean. I'll tell you what, that, that bank president or whatever he is. Um, it's, I mean, it's, it's called Howard County Bank, so he can't be, like, the owner. Yeah, he's just, like, the manager, I think. Yeah. But he's so mean. He, like, calls him an idiot, and he's just, like, totally a huge dick to Ernest. 
Also, he has a golf trophy that looks like it's made out of a uh, fishbowl on his desk. <laughs> is that golf trophy made no sense? But then she, then she's like, "Let's let's have dinner and talk about your future." And I, I'm so sorry. I'm like, what is what is her? How does she see Ernest? Is he a peer? Is she trying to help him? I think they're. How, what do you guys think Charlotte's like relationship to Ernest has been? Especially if he's not there during the day. I, 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 you know what? That never occurred to me that him not being there during the day. Uh, he also his schedule doesn't make any sense because it seems like he's only supposed to be there at night. But then it also just seems like he's at the bank all the time. Yeah, I think they're just supposed to be friends. I guess he clearly has a crush on her, and he mentions that later on when he's in prison, he he talks about her, you know, like he's got a big crush on her. But I think from her point of view, they're just friends, and Ernest is like kind of helpless. I I found the need to have a Charlotte in this film problematic, <laughs> but we we should probably move on now. Yeah, well, well I mean, we'll get to it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Uh, but she does go to dinner with Ernest uh, and has some semblance of interest in him. I think the dinner scene is pretty funny. He's still magnetized. And, like, you know, you can imagine. He's at a restaurant. There's, like, forks and stuff. He gets a fork stuck to his neck and he puts, like, the the um, napkin, like, like a bib to cover it up. See, I, I wasn't as in love with that. I liked before when we saw his place. I didn't love the peewee. His, his house is really peewee playhouse and he, because it's just a bunch of... Everything in this house is a Rube Goldberg kind of yes. setup thing. Um, uh, but a funny part there was uh, he has this big washer machine, and I guess that's where he takes a bath. And before he takes the bath, he puts in Vern's uh, soap or whatever, and that was a hoot for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at him spinning around, and he's monologuing about how irresistible he is to women. <laughs> Oh, when he bathes, he still wears his vest, and he wears a shower cap over his hat. We're getting to the point in the mythology where Ernest's hat is unremovable, but not quite. The hat comes off in this, in that sequence, where he's cleaning himself up with his Rube Goldberg house. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also have that written down. Shower cap on hat is funny. Yeah, uh, that's pretty good. Uh, Vern Watch 2020, we saw Vern's name on Bubble Bath, but that's the only reference to Vern. Uh, I don't know if he is a bubble bath tycoon, or he just stole Vern's bubble bath, but that's <laughs> that's there. Uh, we know at and... least one timeline he's a nuclear physicist. So, Josh, you think Vern might have a box where he puts his soap, and he's like, this is Vern's soap? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> do you not know Vern? Oh, I have a, I have a surprising reveal for the end of the episode. Uh, are you Vern? Well, because we'll if you're Vern, you have to tell us. Otherwise, no, 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 no. I can tell you this: I'm not Vern. But you had you revealed. We'll, we'll wait. We'll save this for the okay. end. Uh, another uh, notes about his house. I mean, it really takes in the whole craftsman thing, where it's mm. just like all over the place. Uh, and even like what struck me out the most. I don't know if you guys noticed this. His house has a big E on it on the outside. He's <laughs> like, oh my god, I did not notice that. Uh, so it's like, this is Ernest's like house. where his mailbox is? No, on, like, the roof. Oh my god, how did like, I miss On that? the second story, like, a Christmas decoration, it just has the big E. Like, a big red E. Oh my god. Uh, also, that's a, uh... That's amazing. A couple great notes about this is he has a sitcom outfit line, where it's just, like, the same outfit, and he's asking mm-hmm. his dog, Rimshot, if, like, 
this one looks better than the other you one for his totally name. just buried the lead on fucking Rimshot. <laughs> he has a yeah. dog. How is that not the main point of this whole part of the conversation? I was getting to it. And he loves Rimshot. He always hugs him and kisses him. Uh, yeah, so between, like, the whole Pee-wee Playhouse feel and, uh, you know, the, the wacky hijinks of his house it, and the dog, it starts to feel very, uh, additionally, Wallace and Gromit-ish. Mm-hmm, totally. Right, yeah. Can I just, real quick, if you guys will allow me, the I, because I had I wrote so much down there. I wrote Pee-wee's Playhouse stuff is a bummer. I wrote um, that wind because he dries himself off in this like big fan that made me laugh. Mm-hmm. And then Josh, I'm sorry to say, when he was picking his outfit and it was a bunch of the same outfit, I wrote Ugh, old guy jokes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it worked for me. I'm with Josh. I, I love that that stupid shit. Uh, what I yeah. love is like creating these like gigantic uh, like contraptions to do the simplest of tasks. Uh, which yeah. is very Wallace Gromit-ish. Uh, but specifically, he does it with a toothbrush, where like he has like ten toothbrushes in like a headgear form that he puts on his face just to brush his teeth. That was funny, actually. That was pretty good. Are we, like, in the precursor to this podcast, like which we've referenced a couple times, uh, I remember us having like a discussion about whether or not Ernest was the American Mr. Bean. But I think he's also, like, the American live-action Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Ernest is like the American, like Mr. Bean, Johnny English, Wallace. He's like all in one. Like he, we take like all that like British dumb guy hero stuff and put it together into Ernest. But let's talk about Rimshot. I think the addition of Rimshot is genius. I love Rimshot. Uh, we'll get to it in the next movie in Scared Stupid. Rimshot is like the MVP of that film. Uh, but I well, think I- like. Giving Ernest a dog is, like, it's silly, and, like, it's very much like a, oh, let's appeal to kids, he has an animal. But I think, like, having something that Ernest is responsible for, like, helps ground his character in some way. Uh, it, like, it brings in, like, the Ernest has hanging out with a kid vibe, without the creepiness of Ernest is hanging out with a kid vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Josh, I think you hit the nail on the head, because, especially because this is a jail movie, I think uh, Rimshot's there because there can't be a kid in this movie. Mm-hmm. There just can't be. It would be too dark. It's also <laughs> just like a very cute dog. Also yeah. a very pink dog. Yeah, but this is one of the only, I think the only movie, I haven't seen the Africa one, where there's no kids. He's not friends with any kids. He's not interacting with any kids. There's I zero kids. I think movie. you're right. I I don't remember Africa. I only saw it when I was a kid. But as far as I can recall, all the other ones do have a child characters, especially Scared Stupid, where he has like a gang of yeah. children that he's hanging out with. Yeah, that already like him. But let's let's not go. Sorry, sorry. So uh, <laughs> we've we've covered uh, like Ernest's date. Uh, one of the best parts about his date is uh, he gets a lobster on his face. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't we don't see him eat again. He he does not eat. He has hijinks with butter and bread. And at certain, at one point, a lobster falls on his face because he's magnetized. And he sucks about trying a lobster, which always gets me when Ernest has an animal on his face. Um, yeah, apparently but... you love that. <laughs> it just works. It's it works. It's exactly like the turtle biting him. Yeah, and he also, makes a, like... He makes in, a stinky poo-poo face, and it's so funny. In, like, Save Christmas, where he has a snake's all over his face. Are we not going to talk about the fact that we've mentioned... Oh, we'll talk about it. We will talk about it later. Never mind. Okay. But, like, that that restaurant scene is important for the lore. Yes. <laughs> 
Yes. Why? Why is that? I assumed we'll get into that with essentials. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, well, next he gets he gets jury duty. Yeah, and he's he gets so excited and to get it. jury duty. I love that. That's that joke really worked for me. He's like he's acting like he like won a sweepstakes or something. He shows the dog the jury duty selection letter, and then he runs across like next door to where Chuck and Bobby live and navigates their personal minefield to show them his jury duty letter. And uh, I kind of wish they were, like, annoyed about it, because my read on them with their personal minefield and their love of guns is that these guys are, like, sovereign citizen libertarian dipshits. Yeah. They're like, well, you know, Ernest, the trim on the flag indicates that this is a nautical court. (laughs) (laughs) So, technically, they can't prosecute you. (laughs) This was, was like, another... You know, I zig sometimes when you guys zag, because, and I wrote it in my notes too. I, w- I wrote this jury duty bit is stupid, and then I wrote Josh and Nate are laughing, so maybe I'm the asshole. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. It's it's good. Uh, we need we need contradicting opinions, so Nate and I don't disappear up our own assholes. Um, Should we catch up? Should we catch up? Because while we've you know we're all having a lot of fun, because I think we all just don't want to stop talking about Ernest because he's great. But there has been another story happening that we've been let in on all throughout the movie. Sure. The three of us have not talked about. We'll uh, finish covering Ernest and then get to that. Okay, okay, my bad, my bad. So, um, I just, before we get away from the date, uh, Charlotte has a weird line where she goes, Ernest, this is fun! She's having a good time. She thinks he's a great date. (laughs) I don't, I mean, her character is... Not she's barely they don't they don't understand how to write her like a person. No, no, <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, but it's it's interesting. It's weird. I think this is the first movie where Ernest has a romantic connection to somebody in the series. Definitely more so than him with the nurse. In well, yeah, that was Jesse just like a platonic Kim. friendship. I stand by my read that he has a crush on her in that. Maybe I think you're just like seeing him as a nervous kid. <laughs> uh, maybe. But yeah, so like th- this is straight up like a love interest for Ernest, right? Uh, and then that leads to a bad thing that happens in the movie. <laughs> yes, well, we'll, we'll, uh, we, we will get. Yeah, to we that. Gotta, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Uh, so uh, this uh, leads when he gets Jerry Duty to one I think is like the funniest scenes of this movie. I absolutely agree. Well, first and foremost, he's on the jury. He's like has this like concentrated stare. He like wants to absorb everything in. And the judge is making, like, a conversation with the jurors where it's, like, you have to decide, like, about this case. And, like, you have to, like, take that in. And, like, he makes eye contact with the judge and he's, like, me? Like, he moused me? And, and then he gets, like, all serious. And, it like, it, it's so great. And then and it gets better. Yeah. It gets grosser, at least. <laughs> it gets so know, much this might be the this might be the funniest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. So he's chewing on a pen. Because, like, that's what you do. And, mm-hmm. and the pen breaks in his mouth. And there's ink everywhere. And he gets it all over his face as he's trying to be calm and listen and collected. And, oh my god. It's just he's reacting insane. To it and he's reacting to it and making these faces... That if you paid me a million dollars, I'd never be able to create. Like, he's, it's so, like, you know, I hate to use these words, but, like, bonkers and zany and, like, it's fucking 
Ooh, excuse me. It's vaudeville, and it's, like, vaudeville done perfectly. It's so funny. Like, it feels like they knew, they, they knew how funny it was, because it goes on for a while, and they were right to have it happen that long. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, and it's just, like, <laughs> a static shot of his face. It's, like, this black fucking ink is, like, leaking out of his mouth, and he's rubbing it all over his face. At one point, he, like, does he eat the entire pen, or is that his notebook? What does he, he no, eat? He, something. He eats his notebook. <laughs> Yeah, but he, he doesn't swallow it. I want it to be clear. We never see him swallow. He just chews on it. This is important. Yeah, because it makes it's it's perfect logic. Because you, I mean, it's ink and this is paper. <laughs> but I want I I I want to like if you like take this scene, the specific scene, and you like take it out of this movie. You know, it's a perfect Charlie Chaplin scene. You know, yes, mm-hmm. uh, where it, like you hit the nail on the head, Zach, when you said Vaudeville, because it was like. If you put this in black and white and you just remove the rest of this movie from this scene, you just have him and the jury dealing with this. Like, it's perfect. Yeah, as like a vignette. As like a vignette, it absolutely works. It's it's just, for me, it, I'm sorry, it, what's the, the height of the movie? I was laughing so hard. Uh, and it's making me laugh now. Like, I have a tear in my eye just thinking about it. It's so good. I think there is like a huge Chaplin influence on this movie. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about it, but when he goes to prison... The prison set is bizarre. It's oh, wild. You're yeah. right. It's wild. First thought when we were watching it, I was like, oh, it's like Burton E. Like it's going back to that Pee Wee influence. But then the more I think about it, I think they're trying to make the prison look like like modern times. Like like those weird giant sets in those old Chaplin movies. Mm-hmm. Because it's mean, it... like this shadowy, imposing place with all of this weird lighting and all of the guards are wearing these bizarre uniforms. With clocks on their hats. Yeah, they look like M. Bison. Yeah, I, <laughs> they, they look absolutely. They look. Like, they look like M. Bison crossed with like a bellhop crossed with the guy from Blues Traveler. Right, hundred <laughs> percent. So it's like if if someone who can't draw that well drew a bunch of M. Bisons for you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Or if your uncle was the leader of Shadowloo. Yeah, or if, like, Flavor Flav was asked to draw M. Bison and he couldn't help himself by putting a clock there, on a hat. If, if Flavor Flav was the dictator of the world, these would be his secret police. <laughs> Number one, all of y'all are wearing shoulder pads. Before we get further into the prison, I do want to note one more thing about this court scene that is very important and probably something that Nate will factor into his insane timeline theory. Uh, is mm-hmm. we have a nope, same actor insane. reasonable timeline <laughs> we have the mm-hmm. same actor playing a same role in this film that doesn't recognize Ernest but it is crucial uh, I think uh, where we have the guy that played the lawyer in Ernest Goes to Camp play the another lawyer in this film for Ruben yeah this was most... he a bad was he a bad lawyer in like you know what I mean was he a was he a was he a lawyer for the corporation that was trying to buy? Yeah. Tickets? Yes. Okay. But he does sort of have a change of heart by the end of the movie. And he does bear witness to the ritual of the blade, the stone, and the arrow. Yeah, where he sees Ernest not get shot, and then he gets excited about that. And he's like, yeah, Ernest wins. Do we want to talk about cool. the timeline? Because this guy's presence both, I think, helps and hinders my theory. It both uh, supports and complicates things. Well, we didn't get too far into like the Ernest stuff because we do have like a lot of chill to go through but if you want to do it now by all means i will let you okay so here's i think there's two my take on where this fits into the grand earnest timeline theory is that this takes place in the good timeline in the earnest is victorious timeline just not during the summer (laughs) wait you mean he goes to jail in the good timeline 
Well, yeah. Well, I mean, he goes to jail in the timeline where he wins and Ernest goes to camp. Okay. <laughs> because Ernest is immortal in this. That's why he has the electro powers. That's just a result of him getting electrified and not being able to die. Is it gives him electro powers when he becomes electrified. This so is you're... Ernest that has survived the ritual. Okay. He is. I he think... still has true faith in the, in the Great One. True of heart, mm. etc. Well, you can see that. This is, this is a much more positive Ernest. Not more, much more. But this is, like, this feels more, like I said, like the Ernest from Ernest Goes to Camp. This is an Ernest that won. It's just not the summer. This is what he does when it's not the summer. He goes home and he works at a bank. I don't know how to reconcile the lawyer. I want him to be the same guy, but the fact that he doesn't recognize Ernest and he's still serving the forces of evil uh, well, seems... Well, if I may, this might be kind of lame, but it is the 90s after all. Could he be, like, they're just twin brothers? Yeah, that's what lawyers? I was thinking. Uh, I think it's his twin brother. Who's also I mean, a lawyer. You could also reconcile that and say this this movie comes before Ernest goes to camp. He's immortal though. He has to come after. Uh well he doesn't become immortal through Ernest Goes to Camp. We just find out he's immortal. Maybe he was no. immortal before and he without knowing it no. like passed the ritual with a blade, the stone and the arrow through going to jail. You're saying talking nonsense. He he <laughs> That's wild. That's bonkers. That's not true. I can't accept that. He, it's the ritual that makes him immortal in Ernest Goes to Camp, and then he's immortal in this. That that my my okay. end take on the t- is this is a good timeline. This is not the summer. I I will work the other movies in as they come, but I'm starting to really. I think by the end of this, I'm gonna have a pretty coherent. That's giving myself way too much credit. Yeah, I'm gonna have a timeline that coherent. makes sense to me, and maybe not to anybody else, but it will make sense to me. So I, I've, love that, I love that Josh is proposing that Ernest is a Highlander. I mean, we both agree that he's a Highlander. We're just arguing about when he becomes a Highlander. Yeah, no, it's like, we we know he's a Highlander, deep down in our hearts. Come with me, Ernest. I'll teach you the ways. Oh, man, that would be great. I would love the Highlander, but it's Ernest. Dude, he's... He's getting the quickening, like the lightning is going into him and like all the spirits is up, and he's going <laughs> <laughs> Also that means he just that means he just beheaded someone also. <laughs> you know it was like an accident. Like he has a sword and he's swinging it around. He's like, look, buddy, I just don't want to fight you. Oops. And then he and then he, he hits him and he's like, ew. <laughs> That'd be so good. So we might pitch Ernest is Highlander for our uh, final pitch. Stay tuned. Uh, But let's get back to Ernest going to jail. uh, Because he ends up going to jail. And then uh, the way this happens is weird as hell. uh, This is wild. Can I describe this? Yes. Go for it. I assume we're talking about the same thing. But please. So, okay. So the... um... I don't want to lay too much track here, but there's the the person on trial is this gentleman named Ruben, and he's on. I'm not even sure. I guess it's a murder trial. Yes, he and murdered Ruben a guy. Sees Ernest. Ruben sees Ernest in the jury, and he, he, I mean, like visually gets an idea. They all but have a light bulb pop over his head, and he whispers something to his evil lawyer, and the evil lawyer <laughs> requests that they go to the jail where the murder suppo- or like where the murder scene was. So that the jury could see the room where a guy died? <laughs> he basically says, like, Your Honor, you can't really uh, understand 
the circumstances unless you see the area in which it occurred. Uh, and I think to prove my client innocent, you would need to bring the jury out there to see it. And, like, they act like this is, like, standard procedure. Like, this is something that's happened. And the, the well, judge is like, well, if the prosecutors don't have any problems with it, I don't see why not. And it's like, what? Well, this supports Nate's, this supports Nate's you know, statement that this movie is an anarchist film. <laughs> it's, it's, it's saying the system does not work. Because this judge, this judge was like, sure. It's yeah, awesome. totally. It potentially, though, does imply that maybe the Ernest movies take place in a universe where uh, photographs don't exist. <laughs> yeah, you can't just like show a picture of the like. It's insane. I love it. It also is. I mean, I'm so sorry. I just here's. It's so wild because it's not. It'd be one thing if like I'd almost accept it intellectually more if like oh a murder happened at uh, an office and and they want to show like oh the hallway's too long to run down for my client. You know what I mean? If this this murder happened in a prison. <laughs> <laughs> into the bowels of this prison. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's totally wild. But it is, they do pay lip service, like I said, to like, well, I, I don't think they treat it like it's a thing that happens all the time, but the judge goes like, well, this is quite irregular for like two seconds before she's like, well, everybody get in the bus. We're going yeah. to prison to have court in the prison. It's basically the same energy as as like, well, there's nothing in the rule book that says a dog can't play basketball. Exactly. It's exactly that. Oh my god, Josh. That's a, it's it's a hundred percent Airbud rules. Yeah, Airbud rules. If 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 it's like something we haven't done before, why not try it? I suppose Nobody said to... court has to happen in the courtroom. Ah, they probably did. <laughs> they it's probably in the rules. All right, uh, let's get on. Uh, so they get to the prison yard, and Ernest is. Among the crowd of jurors, trying to listen to the lawyer give this ridiculous speech about something about the shank not fitting, I, and then people not acquitting. I beg of you, Josh. Uh, I think we gotta we gotta explain. You gotta go back now, and we gotta learn about Reuben and Blake. Hold on, we, this is a big reveal. This is a big reveal. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about the way we're introduced to Nash. All right, yes. all right. Let's all go. All of to a Nash. sudden, the movie cuts to the prison to. Ruben is trying to escape, I guess, from the guards who caught him murdering the guy that he murdered. And the movie just turns into, like, a German expressionist film. Like, he's he's running through shadow with, like, a spotlight on him. And there's, like, smoke machines going off. I mentioned, I, at one point when we were watching it, I was like, why does the inside of the prison look like the Dick Tracy movie? Yeah. Uh, which totally like does at this part. Blade Runner? Yeah. And he's trying <laughs> desperately to get to someone he thinks can help him. And when he does... It's a figure in totally in silhouette, standing in the, like, I think he's, he's not even, like, standing in a doorway. I think he's, like, standing in a hole that's been knocked on the wall, like, surrounded by mist and shadow, and he, like, Reuben pleads with him, like, Nash, you gotta help me, and he is rejected and dragged off by the the, uh, guards. Nash says, I don't do anything for anyone who can't do nothing for me. Yeah. And this is, like, without us seeing his face, too. He's, like, covered in shadow. Yeah, it's not until, I believe, until Ruben proposes his plan to Nash that we see his face, and he is Jim Varney, without a hat, with his hair slicked back. Crazy BDE. Mm-hmm. He does a good... Varney does a good job as Nash. He's, he's so... He's so good. It's like... 
alarming, especially in one particular scene. Uh, Josh, I'm sorry. Now we can go back to the. I, I we had to. No, it's fine. Service. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. I, 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 to add to that, really, I mean, Nash uh, acts like a kingpin, like like Marvel's kingpin, where he basically controls prison like a mob boss, which I, I works like it surprisingly works with Jim Barney doing that. Do we ever find out what he did to like why he's in jail? No. We don't know why no, he's I, in jail or why he's on death row. I feel like he's just like he's just an all-around bad guy, you know, because the second he figures out he works in a bank, he's like, "Oh, okay, I'm going to rob the bank." So, like, you know, if you're like if you're in jail because you're just a Do you know what I mean where it's yeah. like I don't think they even thought that far. It's like this he, guy is a bad my impression does, is he's like a career criminal, and he's getting the death penalty because of like the three strikes thing. Yeah, and I mean, if you're going to run a prison, I don't, you know, this is kind of dark, but it, he's probably killed some people, you know. Well, we know his prison. one of his underlings killed a dude in the jail, so it's like, yeah, and Nash definitely has some blood on his hands. Mm-hmm. Oh, and oh, also when we're introduced to Nash, but we don't see his face, there, he also has this bruiser guy who's standing next to him who has the most interesting haircut I've ever his seen. His hair is amazing. <laughs> I've yes. Like, guys. The second he showed up on screen, I was like, amazing hair. Do you guys, all right, I've, I've named it. I like, so I, I, in my notes, I was writing down all kinds of things. I wrote a flat top, flat mullet, flow it. What do you guys think of the flow it? Flow it's good. a mullet, but it's also a flat top. That's underselling it, though, because it is not just... It's a flat top, but when you imagine flat top, you're imagining the flat plane in the wrong place and in the wrong shape because the the, <laughs> the flat top of his hair is shaped like a boomerang. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. His name is Lyle. He's an important character in this movie. Uh, and yeah. he, like, when I... When my notes, I have that he has Hey Arnold hair. You know, he looks right. like a character from Hey Arnold. With that he, hair. he has hair that a, a, a non-animated person should not have. <laughs> he has hair that if a cartoon character had it, you would go, "That hair makes no sense." Yeah. <laughs> and it's more—it's more that Dick Tracy-ish kind mm-hmm. of stuff too. Mm-hmm. When you see something like that, where it's like, "That was a choice." He didn't show mm-hmm. up with that haircut. <laughs> they <laughs> they sculpted that. <laughs> so this is actually really good that we talked about Lyle and Nash, because this brings me to another, I think, one of the best scenes in this film, where uh, as Ernest is among this crowd of jurors, uh, he gets pss, 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 pulled over to a dumpster by Nash, uh, where Ernest has this existential crisis. He like He's looking at himself, and he's like, am I... Me? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and then he goes to the dumpster and Lyle knocks him out. And, the, the, that, and, and there's the switcheroo. And then Nash goes out into the jury and he's playing it cool. Yep. And I, I uh, want to say, going back to, to Lyle for a second, he is, for just so people can get like a clearer picture of him, he's played by Tex Cobb. He's the guy that played the implacable villain Leonard Smalls in Raising Arizona. He also was like a professional boxer. Which he looks like that. He also looks like yeah. if David Harbour had a younger brother that nobody knew about. Uh, yeah. My uncle sure. used to date a woman that rented an apartment to him. Uh, and then I was like, you have any stories about him? And she's like, nah, he's pretty boring. <laughs> <laughs> Great story, Nate. Thanks, Nate. <laughs> Real, really on the edge of my seat with that one. This is great <laughs> stuff for the air. <laughs> uh, that's what I'm here for. 
So the switcheroo happens, and Ernest doesn't realize the switcheroo happens. He thinks he's still on the jury. And then he says this thing that backs up Nate's theory about this being an anarchist movie against the system. <laughs> Nate, do you want to talk about it? I don't know what, you're t- what part you're referencing. Oh, well, wow. Quick, okay. Gets, I thought this would be really important. Real quick. I'm sorry, because this really made me laugh. When he's when he's eating lunch and he's talking about how great it is that they get free lunch and stuff, and he looks around with the other prisoners and he goes, "Must be a lot of court today." <laughs> yes. <laughs> he thinks. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Josh. That go leads directly. No, that leads directly into it. Uh, first, importantly, he didn't eat lunch. We don't see him eating. Secondly, uh, I have to just nail that down. Uh, secondly, he says there's sure are a lot of jurors today. It's real sad commentary on society. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember that. There you go. More evidence for my <laughs> reading of this film. <laughs> I thought that'd be he's like a big linchpin of your right? thing. I just totally forgot about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's holding a lunch tray, but we don't see him eat. Uh, I, I, I have to hold firm on this. But at one point later on in the movie, when he's recounting the time that he had in prison, he does mention that it's got great food. Sure. Doesn't mean he ate it. <laughs> okay. Eventually, he figures out that he's in the Huskow, the Hootenanny, the Alcatraz, the jail, uh, in this extended scene of him naming everything before coming to the fact that he's in jail, uh, which I thought was great. But then he does this thing that, like, makes him, like, a hero. Because they threaten to beat the crap out of Ernest if he reveals that he shouldn't be in jail. Like, Reuben and uh, Lyle do that. And he, he refuses. He's like, no, beat me up. I don't care. He's immortal. But it's like not even that he's immortal. Like he's just like no, he's a good person. <laughs> like he yeah. doesn't care. And we'll talk about this a little bit more when we get to the essentials. But yeah, no, he's he's totally willing to just let them to beat him up. But then when they threaten Charlotte and like his friends, then he's like, "All right, I'll go along with you guys. Don't hurt them. They're not a part of this." And it's like, wow, like Ernest is a stand-up dude. He's the hero we deserve. <laughs> But not the one we need right now. Nash is out there living Ernest's life. I mean, you know, it's classic. I mean, you guys can imagine he works in a bank. So he's, he's, ooh, I want to rob this bank now. I'm a bad guy. I don't like this dog. This house is crazy. It's all that, you know, switcheroo stuff. Mm. Yeah. Not. I mean, I'm sorry. Was it crappy of me to fast forward? No, no, no. no. Because it's, it's, it's so... That, to me, that stuff, that's the word I'm talking about where I'm like, this is boring. <laughs> Can I mention something, though? I mean, we might talk about that if we it, this more if we talk about these specific characters. But there's when Nash is leaving the courthouse after having replaced Ernest, he's picked up by Chuck and Bobby, mm-hmm. who have, like, a security van. Right. Uh, and I fucking love their sign. Did you guys pay attention to the sign that they have on their van? I missed Not it. It's a, it says, like, Chuck and Bobby Security Services or whatever, and it's got a picture of them. But the picture is them wearing tuxedos, and the security officer hats are, like, hastily pasted onto their heads. So, do you think what it's implying they used to do something else? Yeah, like, they were, like, caterers or entertainers or something, and then they became <laughs> security officers. Because they're not wearing the hats of the pictures, and they're also not wearing their uniforms. <laughs> I did not notice that. That's good. You see it a couple times in the film, and I was like, that sign's great. Well, they they also have, and this this happens while Ernest is in jail, they have this, like, 
It's it's I, it sounds a little bit like when the bigger guy was a cook. They have this bit where they're trying to sell like security upgrades to the the poodle smirk. Yeah, and then every time they demonstrate them to him, they put him in danger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's there's pretty like good. A invisible, there's like an invisible wall that smushes him, and then there's a cage that falls down, and um, the the bigger guy says, don't touch that cage because it's electrified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and also, yeah. Um, like, they're like just like mousetrap things. Like, Yeah. <laughs> like, it, like it feels like game. from a set of mousetraps. It's this weird game that those characters are given to do after Act 2, where in, all they did in Act 1 was kind of almost shoot Ernest, and then in the second bit, they're just like, <laughs> buy the security stuff. Well, they need something to do now that they can't, to be funny now that they can't interact with Ernest because he's stuck in the Exactly, jail. exactly. So, um, earlier, Zach, I think you made a really interesting point about Ernest uh, emulating Bugs Bunny. And I think when Ernest is in prison, that really amps up. Uh, specifically, there's a few things that uh, caught my attention that fit into that. Uh, the first and foremost is he has this series of trying to be Nash, where he does, like, I think at least 20 different impressions of different, like, actors and characters, including John Wayne and Stallone. I actually have written down exactly what he does. Oh, he does please. Old... Yeah, <laughs> he does old guy. He does he does southern guy. He does Irish guy. Then he does James Cagney. Then he does Beauregard. He even says he even goes as far as to say, "Play it, play it louder, Sam, so they won't hear me shoot him." Then he does Stallone. <laughs> no, excuse me. Before Stallone is James Mason. You know, for the kids. <laughs> and then he does Stallone, and he does it's. They're all good, but they're all referencing Casablanca. <laughs> and, and I I don't know. The James Mason one I find kind of egregious. I mean, maybe that's for the grown-ups, but it feels like that's just um, in his bag of tricks. Yeah, he's just doing his Mad TV audition tape. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, what I liked about this, though, is when he's doing the bit, he keeps saying, you know, you're, you're the rat that shot my brother. And the fucking Beauregard impression is... Of all the gin joints, you had to walk into this one and shoot my brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. Uh, but there's, like, other things. Uh, because, like, he has an arm wrestling competition with another inmate. And he's, like, so confident that he's going to win. And he does win. He doesn't know why he wins. Because Lyle threatened the other guy with the shank. But he wins. And he dresses up as a grandma to try and get out. And it almost works. Except uh, oh, his also, chain ball boobs fall out. Like Ruben, Ruben and Lyle seem to have like you know, Ruben and Lyle want Ernest to appear as Nash. That's their deal. And mm-hmm. Nash stares a cell with Lyle. So when and Ruben, uh, weirdly, in that same cell, I thought it, I thought Ruben was just there sometimes. Yeah, I think he just comes over from his cell. He okay. definitely shares the cell like permanently with Lyle. It seemed like they all had the cell. Maybe that was my take. Lyle is watching him do the impressions and stuff, and it's like one of those, like, it's almost like, you know, that thing in film when, like, you're trying to dress someone up and they keep coming out a different shirt, and the guy's like, nah, nah. It's like one of those things where Lyle's like, oh, Ernest, that's not Nash. Like, it's just, Lyle is always with Ernest. Right. During that arm wrestling scene, he helps Ernest. I just, like, that turns out to be important. 
It does. Uh, but the biggest Bugs Bunny thing that Ernest does, I think, is like he brings in his craftsman stuff, but it takes it to a new extreme. Where he oh, takes I a spoon, uh, a soap, and shoe polish, and makes a legitimately, like, realistic-looking assault rifle. Well, it's like he, he starts with the soap, and then it cuts to you, and there's a pile of soap flakes on the ground from him. That's much larger than the bar of soap. And then he's holding a fake gun that's, like, way bigger than the bar of soap. Like, it's, total it's cartoon a, gag. A, what? It's an actual-sized machine gun. Yeah. Made out of soap. Yeah, and so he's holding this assault rifle, and he's like, Hey, guard, get me out of here. And then the assault rifle does the flaccid penis thing where it's like... Yeah. Well, that's the most, like... Vi- the visual of the, the gun barrel drooping is, like, the most like, directly, like, Looney Tunes thing in the whole movie. Like, that's literally just... Like, that's Elmer Fudd's gun. Like, it does <laughs> yes, that shit all the yeah. time. I, I don't know. I think everything Josh listed is very, like, dressing up like a grandma, like, all that stuff is so out of the Bugs Bunny playbook. Mm-hmm. For sure. He also tries to catapult out of the prison yard and does, like, a Hell fishing yeah. line oh, to rolls. get the keys. Uh, like, that's all within the Bugs Bunny repertoire. Like, he, he, like, he really, like, as he's in prison, emulates... Like a Looney Tunes character, and it's actually for the better. Yeah, the catapult I wasn't ready for. I just, oh, it was so good. I think we all lost it when we were because it doesn't yeah. like fling him at all. It just like spatulas him directly into the ground, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like brutal. It just whomps him. And it's one of those. It was a gift because I just forgot that it happened. I've seen this film before, but I was like, "Oh my, look at this!" (laughs) Well, so much wacky shit is happening while he's in prison that it's hard. You're never like years removed from the fact you're not going to be able to keep all those gags in your head. I also want to say we keep saying he dresses up like a grandma. It's the same Aunt Nelda character that he dresses up as in Saves Christmas when he goes to try and like when he's pretending to be Joe Carruthers' mom. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how he has a a dead son and a ba- like a bad son that's alive and a dead son that was good in Saves Christmas. And then in this movie, she talks about well, Ernest talks about uh, having a bad son in jail. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> so, no loss here, no death, but an attachment to someone who has been imprisoned by the system. Hmm. Makes it seem like... I don't know. Kind of seems like it supports somebody's theory about a timeline. (laughs) I'm just giving you that one. Uh, But I think it's essential to point out uh, the antics of Ernest in prison. The Looney Tunes nature of it. Because the next thing that happens is like the complete polar opposite. Because Ernest finds out that the 24 hours that he thought he had in there before he was released was actually him on death row, and he had 24 hours left to live. And then he has this moment of like trying to overcome his fear of death. And it is just such a hard scene to watch. But, like, we'll talk... I mean, like, this sort of happens in Goes to Camp, too. Like... We've seen Ernest accept and defy the concept of death before. But he doesn't know that he's immortal. Like, he gets to a certain no, point where he like he, he's accepted it. He's like, all right, you know what? I'm going to do it. Because what is an Ernest? A man with a path both rich in history and tradition. 
take me away. I'm ready. And it's just, it's just such a bummer. It's like it's like the scene in like Toy Story three where they're all holding hands before they die. <laughs> it is a lot like that, except it except it's like arguably sadder because yeah. Ernest is doing this alone. Like the toys are facing death together. Ernest is is going to walk across the black desert by himself. Oh man, it's it's rough. It's not great. But he doesn't die. No, he doesn't I die. But I... like uh, going into that scene, not knowing that the lightning Frankenstein is about to occur. It's rough. Like, yeah. again, this is a movie targeted for kids. Here's the thing. I'm imagining the children watching this movie and seeing Ernest accept his own death and crying at the thought that Ernest is going to die. And it is increasing my power levels to heights formerly unseen. I think it's great and I love it. Yeah, that's Nate for you. <laughs> I know. I mean, I, I think I think kids know. I mean, look, I'm I'm not to get too behind the scenes here. I'm expecting soon, and uh, well, technically my wife is, but I need it. Um, and I know one of the first things once he's cognitive and stuff like that, I'm going to explain to him is look in jail, they electrocute you to death. I'm I'm going to give some more insight into how I became the person I am. <laughs> um, when I was a kid. Uh, one, I believe the first movie I ever saw in the movie theater was The Lion King. Sure. Uh, I which was, famously, that was also for me, too. Yeah, well, jo- Josh and I are, we're like, not even a year apart. I think I'm only like a couple months older than you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that famously, like, the inciting incident of that is a character, is a, you know, Mufasa dying. Sure. And afterwards, I was hanging out with another kid who lived in my neighborhood and he, we were talking about the Lion King because he had seen it too at the movie theater. And he said something like, he said, he used the phrase Simba's daddy was sleeping. Oh, and then I, as a kid went, no, he wasn't. He's dead. Yeah. <laughs> and this kid freaked out. And, like, his mom got mad at me and was, like, yelling at my mom. And my mom was like, yeah, but... He is dead. <laughs> yeah. It is. You and your mom are right. And that lady was wrong to tell that kid that Mufasa was sleeping. But it's also like but Nate's the- emulating like the the kid who tells other kids not to believe in Santa Claus because he's not real. We've been through it. I, but I specifically didn't do that. I yeah. kept kayfabe on Santa, but not on <laughs> Mufasa being asleep. Yeah. No, we're not going to. He's not letting that kid go to bed that night thinking Mufasa was just taking a nap. He's gone. All right, he's gone. Um, but the I don't know. I don't think it's that sad. I mean, I I I, I truly I I guarantee you, little Zach watching this for the first time was like, well, they're gonna put him in an electric chair and they're gonna regret it. Yeah, yeah, you know, like you know, going in already that he's been electrocuted and survived. So like, I mean, some kids probably did ha- had a freak out, but I think that's just Boy. the price you got to pay, man. Sometimes you oh. make a movie for kids. Sometimes you're gonna traumatize some kids. And, and guys, some what? of those kids are going to make stronger by terrifying them. <laughs> Knowing what we know about Ernest and that he's immortal, if it was lethal injection, what would have happened? He would have gotten Toxic Avenger powers. <laughs> he would, when they injected him, he probably still would have gone... <laughs> <laughs> he would have became Teenage Mutant Ninja Ernest. Oh, hell yeah. 
But so the, can we talk about the the post execution scene? Because this part's fucking wild. Yes. Yeah, so he get accidentally falls in the electric chair and gets electrocuted uh, somehow because it's Ernest. <laughs> and then he becomes Lightning Frankenstein. And please tell us all about it, Nate. Well, I mean, it's the same thing that happened in in the beginning with the floor polisher, but amped up. For some reason, briefly, after he's been electrocuted by the chair, I guess because it's, like, scrambled his brain, he's just lurching around like an electrified zombie and blasting lightning off of his body and attracting all the metal in the prison and blowing holes and walls. And then eventually, he regains some semblance of sentience and he starts, like, dancing around and, like, trick-shotting lightning at people. <laughs> he he fully becomes, like, a Sith Lord <laughs> by the end of this sequence. He's like a Sith Lord combined with Magneto, combined with Frankenstein. And it's just the best. Yeah, and it's, like, on in, the most interesting part is, totally prefiguring uh, X2, X-Men United, he does pull all the iron out of the blood of one of the cards. <laughs> 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 No, he doesn't, but that's really funny. (laughs) What if they caught Ernest again after he became electrified and they had to put him in that Magneto plastic cell? (laughs) Oh, I think it's clear that if you ever do need to imprison Ernest, that's the only viable way to do it. The only safe way to keep Ernest in jail is to put him in the Magneto cell. (laughs) They gotta put him in that, like, well, no, this is a reference no one's gonna get, but whatever. They gotta put him in that crazy underground jail from the second G.I. Joe movie. (laughs) Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, man. Um, so this leads to uh, uh, Ernest almost escaping, and then Ruben trying to stop him, and then Lyle knocking Ruben out. Uh, because yeah. Lyle has either fallen in love with Ernest, or he's like come to the like conclusion that like Ernest is a good man. He doesn't deserve to die. And he well, wants okay. Ernest to be free. I have a strong take here. Lyle is the only character in this movie with an arc. Uh, Lyle's the only person who is acting different at the end of the movie um, than he was in the beginning based on what has happened in the movie. Oh, totally. And there's, no, there's no question. There's no question. He, Ernest, has endeared himself to Lyle to the level that Lyle is now questioning, like, what was he even doing? Why not be a guy more like Ernest? He doesn't exactly say this, but when after he helps Ernest escape, Ernest is like, come with me, Lyle. And Lyle's like, Ernest, man, I belong in here. Uh, you know, like, it, Lyle, to me, is implying, I'm going to change, I have a debt to repay, and step number one is I'm getting this guy out of the mess I got him in. And that's really interesting, because we don't actually know what Lyle did either. Like, we have no idea. We know Reuben killed he a guy. him on the head, for sure. Yeah, sure. Uh, but oh, oh, excuse me. Sorry, sorry. I didn't we know Reuben killed a guy. While he's in prison, but we have no idea what they're in prison for. And Lyle specifically, like, there's no, like, hints. I mean, he has a Confederate flag in his cell, but that feels like the bare minimum of, like, okay, maybe he was a white supremacist, who knows. But, like, we don't really know, like, why he's in jail. And to give him an arc where he becomes, like, a good guy is nice, but I don't know if it has that same sort of redemption if we just, like, he's just in prison. He's a prisoner. Well, you know? yeah, we also get we get some hints that he might, was a pretty nasty customer in the past. There's a sequence where Ernest, uh, as Nash, is in, like, a arm wrestling feud. Yeah, I, I mentioned with that. With another... Okay, yeah, and Lyle is, like, gonna stab that guy. 
Yeah, he literally, it's a kid's movie, and Lyle takes out a prisoner's shank and looks at the guy being like, I'm going to kill you with this prisoner's shank. And it's a nasty looking one too, because it's like hooked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's what it's what one can muddle together in a prison situation. Have fun, kids. And in Lyle's, Lyle's defense in regards to the Confederate flag thing, it's possible that, you know, he, in prison, you know, sometimes you gotta join a gang. Sure. To... Also, didn't at one point they say Lyle cooked and ate several babies? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> See, that would, that would make the arc better, but no. <laughs> yeah, at the end, he gets, Ernest gets out, and he's like, Lyle, help me escape, and Nash is like, baby eating Lyle? <laughs> <laughs> baby eating Lyle helped you escape. You're telling me that the guy who ate babies... Look, he's going to get out of jail, and he's going to become a hairdresser. Oh, that's amazing. He really should. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, really we, could all, should. we could all go to Lyle Styles one of these days. Yeah. He just does the one, he does the it. <laughs> so Ernest gets out, and he gets to his house, and he finds out that his house has been vandalized by Elvis. Yeah, I, that was, I thought that was a good gag. Yeah, like, Nash has totally remade it, and there's, like, zebra print stuff, and he's taken out all the gadgets... And he's thrown Rimshot in a garbage can. In one of the saddest scenes of this movie, too. He just takes the poor dog and just puts him in a trash can. Do we want to talk about why he does that? Yeah, let's talk about that. Because that is uh, one of the biggest scenes of this movie that uh, I think needs to be discussed. So go ahead. You guys, I mean, it's interesting to me, before we get into this, I'll, I don't know, you, you cut this out if you don't like it. It's interesting to me how rough treatment santa got in the last episode we're barely talking about nash who is a terrible character and it's really really solidified in a scene where he invites charlotte over and like you know attempt there's a there's like no bones about it i have to say it it's a date rape scene it's absolutely he starts to force himself on charlotte she leaves and I mean, and he's he's all skeezy. I mean, I'm sorry to say again that the Jim Varney as this character has incredible like charisma. It does. It's not earnest. Um, no, but like not charisma to the point that she's saying yes, of course, because she's like you know she sees him as earnest, and it's a weird thing to demand of us of an, as an audience of like he's a bad guy, so obviously he's going to force himself on this woman. <laughs> like, yeah, it's totally it's, unnecessary. Like, all it does is is seek to. Well, it does two things, I guess. One, it doubles down on illustrating that Nash is a bad guy, which we don't need because his plan is already hinges on letting Ernest get executed. So (laughs) we know he's a bad dude. Uh, And then also it serves to make uh, Charlotte, like, be mad at Ernest. So, like, when he shows up, she's not initially on his side because she thinks he's the bad dude. But, like, he's about to strap her to a vault with a bomb on it. So she could have just been mad about that and not this thing. Totally. Uh, I mean, to give this more context, not to excuse it or anything, but to give it more context, uh, the relationship between Charlotte and Ernest is weirder because of that friend date thing. And he's clearly into her. Uh, She might be into him, but when Nash takes over, he definitely puts the moves on her where he, like, kisses her in the bank and then like asks for kisses for like cleaning better and doing stuff and then like invites her over to do more things with her like a date and then takes it further than she ever wanted it to go 
when she's saved by Rimshot, which I don't think is the thing we specifically mentioned. That's why he puts Rimshot in the garbage can. Is Rimshot's immediately distrustful of Nash, because it's that classic thing. You know, dogs in movies can sense evil. And I guess he also... Like, I don't know. I don't know how a dog would react to this if... Because they can recognize their owners, right? And if someone showed up who looked exactly like their owner but didn't smell like him, that would probably freak a dog out. Mm-hmm. I just... This is this is more of the... Like, this is like Santa Claus rules to me. I I I don't get Charlotte's relationship to Ernest, which I've already said. But then I really don't get how, if you were at all friendly with Ernest for even 48 hours... And, I mean, she's not like the security guard. She seems to... I don't know, have it together other than her relationship with Ernest. And she doesn't put together that this is a different guy. He's so not Ernest. There's a scene where the where he's, you know, intimidating Puddle Smurf and breaks his golf thing and stuff like that. And uh it's it's just it's wild to me that like I don't know how we're supposed to what we're supposed to think of Charlotte, other than, oh, she's in trouble. I'm of two minds and about this. At one point she screams after she gets a flat tire, she goes, I'm not a victim. And I'm like, that's, oh, get out of here. I mean, this is definitely, this is a movie that was made well before the Me Too era. Our thinking as a culture on stuff like this was very different. I'm not trying to excuse it, but it just, it's, uh, it's rough. This, that whole sequence and the aftermath of it. Nate, if I I may, if I may, uh, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to look, I'm not trying to crucify anyone. But it is, it's, this is in that same neighborhood of the Brave stuff, I think. It's, it's, I don't want to say exactly the same thing, but like it is, it's a victim of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it, it's, this is maybe again why Santa Claus 1 is better because there's nothing like this. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk about, I want to comment on what you were saying about like the weirdness of Charlotte's like, interactions with Ernest after, or with Nash after he's replaced Ernest. I, yeah. I was saying, I think I'm of two minds about this, because on one hand, yeah, he acts completely differently. Like, you would not think that was the same person at all. But also, I, I'm i tempted to wonder, and I think about this, like, every time there's something, because like, there's lots of, you know, media where there's, like, this Prince and the Pauper thing, and, like, a character gets replaced, yeah. but, or mind-controlled by someone, and they start acting completely differently. I, I always wonder, like, what your reaction could be, because... As much as you want to be like, well, I would know when they're doing stuff completely out of character. Like, if I was replaced and somebody showed up on this podcast and wasn't talking about an overly complicated Ernest timeline and trying to do a Marxist reading of Slam Dunk Ernest or whatever, you, I would want to think that you guys would be like, yeah, that's not Nate. But it's also like, how does your brain process that when the person looks exactly like the uh, person they've replaced? Right. Down to the point where in the movie, he's being played by the same actor. The only visual difference between Nash and Ernest is that he's not wearing the hat and his hair is slicked back. Like, as different as he's acting, I wonder if it would just be like, I don't know how your brain would deal with that. You you would just have to be like, there's something wrong with him. Like, he got hit on the head or something. Like, that's like the conclusion you would have to come to. Right, and also at the same token, like, the movie kind of gives him a motivation to, like, give Charlotte, like, a motivation to, uh, like, see this as a same Ernest because Ernest himself wants to clean up his act and become like better in front of the boss, make good impression, become a bank clerk. So when she sees Ernest like succeed at cleaning the bank and like changing his look, she just thinks like, Oh, he's trying to make an impression on the boss. And like, that's like plausible. Yeah. Also specifically part of his thing is that they have after 
the initial interaction with Mr. Poodle Smurf, one of the things she specifically tells him is like he needs to be like more assertive. So yeah, I think the idea is that initially she doesn't immediately react to him like he's a different guy because it just it maybe does just kind of seem like oh this is Ernest trying to be more assertive, and we know because we've seen it. That Ernest, like, plays characters and stuff. So right. I could see her being like, okay, this is his, like, confident guy character. Mm-hmm. And, like, right. it's a little it, weird, but maybe he'll... And then he goes too dark. And it, brings me, it brings me back to, like, even given all that, because of course you wouldn't go, you're no Nate, and <laughs> bonk you on the head and mm-hmm. run to the nearest prison to see if you got Ernest did it. <laughs> but, like, uh, uh, I agree with that to a point, but because, like, he's he's creepy and grabby mm-hmm. right away. Like, oh, Josh yeah. pointed out, like, he's, like, he's, like, calling her baby and smooching at her and stuff. Like, this is, like, even if you are going, oh, okay, I guess this is his, uh, uh, you know, this is Ernest changing into a more assertive person, how is she not, like, well, this guy's an asshole, I'm gonna call him out on it. And, I mean, I would be saying this, I'm sure, like, it, Prior to me, too. I'm not even being like, oh, oh yeah. this is sexist. I'm 100% saying it doesn't hold water. It just does not hold water that she would, like, you know, like, presumably, hey, you know what? Let's not go down this road. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. I mean, at a certain point, she calls Nash slime as, like, the, the forced on scene happens and runs out. Um, so she stands up for herself. But it just overall, she's not very well written i would say no yeah it's not well realized it's you know um and you you kind of hit the nail on the head when you talked about her like uh having that scene with the flat tire and be like stop acting like a victim charlotte do your thing and it's like yeah okay cool this is how we they don't know how to write women i guess yeah hey old guys that are typing this you suck (laughs) (laughs) signed the future (laughs) right So moving on, so we're, like you said, she's strapped, someone said, you know, we're, we're at the bank. Let's get yeah. into, like, Nash himself. Like, so we kind of talked about, like, he realizes that he's at a bank uh, it, with Ernest, and he, like, everybody around him are idiots. Uh, at a certain point, the security guards, like, show him, because he's they think he's Ernest, and it's harmless, and they're just, like, showing him a cool thing they did. They show him that uh, they can open a drawer, and a gun pops out that they can use to guard the bang uh and then he decides he's gonna blow open the vault with a bomb and then he ties the security one of the security guards gaylord uh Sartain's character bobby i think right is that right is that, is that bobby yeah uh yeah I, no i think bobby is bill Berge. okay I, I thought i messed it up so chuck is gaylord Sartain. so he ties chuck and uh charlotte to the bomb blow it up and he like is so confident about it he's like you really think i'm Ernest? you think Ernest will be able to do any of this you think Ernest will be able to build a bomb you think Ernest will be able to even clean the goddamn floor no you're Ernest. uh he the state executed him which is like (laughs) whoa we know it's not true but it's such a wild thing for a person it has the same energy as scrappy Doo found dead in miami uh he also specifically he says do you think Ernest would be able to build a bomb without blowing himself up right what, how does this guy, I guess because he's been in his house and stuff, but how does this guy know that Ernest is that much of a kook? I mean, I guess he's heard people talk about him, too, though, at yeah, work, Yeah, I right? guess he sees how people treat him, too. I also, can but I then, just, real fast, this is like a total divergence, but I had a revelation about uh, Gaylord Sartain. So I mentioned earlier, like, I was like, oh, like, I love slapstick movie, slapstick comedy when I was a kid. Well, a movie that I really liked as a kid, which I've basically never heard anybody talk about, there was like a 1999 
direct-to-video Laurel and Hardy movie that was Gaylord Sartain and Bronson Pinchot that I used <laughs> to be, like, way into when I was a kid. I just realized it's the same dude. That's amazing, man. That's interesting. I didn't know that. They, like, fight a mummy. I thought it was hilarious when I was a kid. Oh, my God. Congratulations. What a revelation. <laughs> I know what you're doing with your afternoon. <laughs> Uh, so Nash is there, he is threatening the bomb, and then Ernest walks in, and it's Ernest v. Ernest. Uh, they have this Ernest weird... goes to double Ernest. They have this weird fight. At a certain point, uh, Nash electrocutes Ernest, because uh, he and says it's his night to fry. Then something else happens. Well, yeah, we know what happens when he gets electrocuted. Well, this is even, like, he doesn't even become Lightning Frankenstein anymore. He well, becomes... Yeah polarized that's the yes. he starts floating it's an amazingly crummy looking effect but it it's will. the worst like uh, straight to like dvd effect of like a cgi earnest flying into like a still background well he's just like green screen but one of my favorite lines is when it cuts to as an explanation it cuts to a close-up on chuck's face and he's like he's been polarized <laughs> like, we're supposed to know what that means it's the same energy as like that. Uh, your favorite line in uh, the National Treasure movie, Nate. Oh, you need a reagent. <laughs> yeah, no. What is it? Do, what is it? In National Treasure, there's the part where they're trying to figure out how to see the secret message on the back of the. Uh, is it the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence? It's the Declaration okay. of Independence. And then John Voight just sort of like walks through the background of the scene and goes, "You need a reagent." <laughs> and it's the same energy it's like he must be polarized I'm like oh you're right that's totally what it is he's definitely been polarized so he floats around and <laughs> at a certain point Nash takes advantage of this where he like puts a foot down on Ernest and dribbles him like a basketball and like mm-hmm. throws him around the room Ernest. yeah foreshadowing slam dunk Ernest but Ernest eventually gets the upper hand and uh, knocks Nash out and then the bomb's about to explode and Ernest does the most Superman thing possible, <laughs> where he he takes the bomb and he flies up and through the roof of the bank and explodes. So like it he like almost sacrificing yeah almost sacrificing himself. Well, there's a moment yeah. where, as far as everybody, including the audience, I mean not us because we have the foresight of watching these like 20 years later, but like. There is a point where it's supposed to be played like, oh, Ernest has exploded and died in space, I guess, to save us off this bomb. Like Charlotte and like uh, Gaylor Sartain's character, Chuck, are treating it that way. They're and, like mourning Ernest. <laughs> and then he falls from the sky, completely covered in soot, uh, on top of Nash. And he says, I came, I saw, I got blowed up. And then the movie ends. Josh, yeah. were you thinking about this when you started doing your intros so no one is ever going to believe me but no i actually didn't see this movie until now this is one of the rare earnest movies this is like one of two that i haven't seen before doing this podcast even if you saw it 50 times i would believe that you still didn't make that connection (laughs) i completely believe you thank you (laughs) not like the first it's wild because i don't I also don't think you were thinking about the Slay stuff either, right? No. So, I didn't I didn't remember that Ernest goes on a Slay and goes around the world 15 times. I just thought to myself, it's... Ernest is an honest, everyday guy that we're trying to, like, understand and ascertain 
and he's like the American, the American like version that we talked about of like the Johnny English, uh, where it's like this is the the our guy, and it's like well of course he's like Superman, like he he's the American ideal, he's truth justice in the American way. Yeah, it's just like it just everything sort of defaults to that, right? Like if you're trying to write like a pure hero like this like it's like inevitably you just reference superman because yeah. like of course that's like the obvious thing to do yeah so like again i don't think anyone will believe me when i say this but i mean th- zach did thank you zach but yeah, I, I just like you know i made that connection i put it in and it's just like it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy like this is something that has been proven throughout the works of Ernest <laughs> that he is a superman-esque figure and i just stumbled into that Maybe the reason that Santa Claus lost track of him... No, this doesn't make any sense. But I'm going to continue saying the point I was going to say. Maybe the reason that Santa Claus lost track of him when he was 11 was because he was sent to another planet. But then that doesn't make any sense. Because then he nope. would have to come back. He had to come to back. regular Earth. No. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I love, at one point when he's floating around, I think he says, he says, Peter Pan, eat your heart out. Mm-hmm. And I, I miss that. I wish I wish more comedy things would be invoking the eat your heart out. <laughs> yeah, we should incorporate eat your heart out in, more into modern movies. I miss eat your heart out. I want to I want to add it to my list of tropes I miss with sand uh, with quicksand and uh, little boys with slingshots. So we um we covered Ernest and we definitely need to get into essentials. But before we do that, uh, there are just a few other notes I had for the other characters of this movie that I kind of want to talk about real quick. Um, I feel like we covered Charlotte pretty well, but is there anything else mm-hmm. that you guys want to say regarding her as a character? Not really. Okay. I really wanted to talk more about, like, the uh, brothers Chuck and Bobby, the security guards, because they're... So, this is the most we've seen of them. I think I already said this, uh, but... Yeah. This is the most we've seen of them in any Ernest movie. These are, like, the most they've become main characters. I mean, they're essentially the, they're the secondary protagonists almost of this movie yeah they have like the b plot uh and it's so i don't know if it's like a good thing or a bad thing because i think they're better in this than they are in christmas but nothing Mm -hmm. they do in this is quite as funny as exeronius yes that's what i was thinking like bobby has a minefield he shoots a gingerbread man and he maced nash by accident in a reference to an off-screen thing that we saw that uh like is referenced but we didn't see and there isn't even like i think his best moment is when he's sneaking around trying to get a bead on nash uh when he already captured chuck and he like hides behind a, a coat hanger but you can't see him uh he has like a triumphant moment too where he like he is like comes to stop nash and then he but then he gets he doesn't do it. He, like, misses him or something, and then, he, it, like, his gun becomes, like, a thing that's, like, sliding around, and, like, characters are trying to grab in the fight. Yeah. And, like, uh, he's not, like, necessarily competent, but he is, like, super into being a guard, where he even has, like, a shooting range in his own house. Yeah, when Ernest shows up to show them at the jury duty thing, he's, like, shooting at a target in front of the door. And he almost shoots and- Ernest. <laughs> He almost shoots Ernest a couple times in the movie. Yeah, but Ernest I can't like die, that he so it's at least fine. has more of a character. Like, in Christmas, he's just kind of like the other guy there. And most of the focus in the scenes are on Gaylord Sartain, like, wiggling his eyes around and yelling and stuff. And I like in this the idea that he's like this completely silent violence machine that his brother is, like, just barely keeping a lid on. Like, at one point, he gets all up in 
uh, I think it's when Nash first shows up at the bank. He gets all up in his face and is, like, demanding ID from him silently. And Chuck's like, yeah, I even I have to show him my ID. And I'm his brother. And I like the image of, like... <laughs> like, they wake up in the morning and Bobby immediately points a gun at him and demands to see his ID. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just ridiculous. I mean, I like that, in general, like, giving him more of a character. I don't know if it ever, like, reaches the height of, like... Eggs erroneous or like anything else they've done, but it's I don't. Do you think that having these characters have a bigger role in the movie is like an overall good thing, an overall bad thing, or overall neutral thing? Like, what do you guys think? I think in this one, I think in this one, I wish it was like I wish we saw that scene that Nate just described because that's like with this. Unfortunately, like it's it's such a fun concept, but it's never executed that way. Excuse me, it's never executed in a way. That I really like fall in love with or find endearing mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, in I'm pretty film. much on the same page as Zach with this one. I think like I'm totally cool with him having an expanded role, and I like that they they're like more fully like a part of the Ernest formula, where it's like Ernest supporting characters are always going to include these two dudes. Uh, but yeah, I don't think it quite ever comes together in a way that like is, like, laugh out loud, hilarious. Like, they have some funny moments, but I feel like they needed to... If they were going to be this big in the movie, they needed to be more, like... They just needed to come up with better material for them, I think. Yeah, the thing that sucks is those two guys are funny. They're not given great stuff to do. Right, Mm -hmm. right. That's what, like... I mean, what do you think, Josh? Like, if those guys... Like, do you think those guys... It's, like, salt and pepper Ernest and these two guys, you know what I mean? Like... I mean, I think they have potential. I think... Like, this movie maybe even expands upon that potential by saying, like, there is an element where these guys having a bigger part in the in earnest movies would work and might click. But I think they just don't reach it here. Yeah, I think... It feels like we're all saying the same thing, which is, like, I, make, it, make it wackier. <laughs> yeah. I feel like they maybe... The key to making those guys work, which I don't think ever really comes together in the Ernest franchise, is I feel like they should have abandoned the, like... The um, I don't know how to describe it, but like that thing where they're they're always sort of different characters. Mm-hmm. Ah. If they had a more consistent character, the way that Ernest does, I think that would have made them better because you would have grown more attachment to them over the course of the movies in the same way you do with Ernest. Where it's like they can do a different job because Ernest has a different job in every movie. But I feel like their bit should have been more consistent from film to film. Well, how does this fit into your timeline theory? I think they're different guys in every movie. They're just played by the same actors. <laughs> so, so maybe in your opinion... Maybe we're seeing... Hold on, hold on. Allow me, Josh. Yeah, I think you'll like this. Maybe we're seeing the world through Ernest's eyes. So whenever there are two guys that are working together, that's just who he sees. He sees <laughs> those two guys. Same way he sees almost everybody. I mean, well, I don't know. Maybe maybe you're going to bust this open. But uh, maybe it's like the Vern thing. Maybe there's no continuous Vern. Maybe it's just like whoever Ernest is bothering is Vern. Whoever the two guys who are working together that Ernest knows are Chuck and Bobby. Ooh, and then maybe any lawyer Ernest sees is the lawyer. That's a- Holy shit, we did it. <laughs> 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 well, uh, we've really covered almost everything. I think I just have a couple more things I want to mention, uh, if you'll allow me, uh, because I think they just stood out, in my opinion, in this movie. Uh, and one of those things is there's a consistent ball gag... <laughs> In this movie, with the chain, like the ball chains, yeah, maybe, maybe maybe don't say ball yeah. gag. <laughs> Where uh, there at, at a certain point, Ruben and Lyle are threatening another inmate uh, regarding some money he owes Nash, 
And the way they threaten him is they take this amount of weights and they're going to put it on top of him. But specifically, the bottom of those weights are the like the two iron balls chained together and they put it right on top of his crotch. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going to threaten a yeah. guy, threaten him where it hurts. Yeah. And then there's there's the one when he plays the, the, the aunt's character, the mom character. The grandma. Yeah. And oh, grandma, excuse me. Yeah. Aunt Hildy, or whatever Nate said. Nelda. Uh, yes, and the, the, she used those boobs, and they fall out. Um, another thing I wanted to note is, like, when Ernest's house becomes the bachelor pad for Nash, uh, there's just an, a photo off to the side of Jim Varney with a gun and no hat. That's Nash's photo. Nash has a photo of himself with a gun that he puts up in his house. <laughs> like, so, so he didn't have that prior to being in prison, so he had to, like, make that? No, Maybe he... like, he, he went to Kmart, he asked for a background, like a, like a woodsy background. This is 1990-something, and you could go into a Kmart and buy a rifle, and then have the photo place take a picture of you. And damn it, if that's an essential for, like, your boudoir or whatever, yeah, it's one of the first things you knock out. You gotta have, like, it's important, a nice thing to have in your home is a photo of yourself with your loved ones, and Nash's loved one is gun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, just to get more into the system here, because uh, the system in this movie, like we talked about, is kind of weird. Uh, not only with the court feeling free to move wherever, but when Nash is replaced... Like, he replaces Ernest in the jury, and, like, he convinces them to rule Reuben as innocent of his crime of killing somebody in prison. The judge, like, like the, one of the jurors says, we find the defendant innocent, and the judge is like, are you sure? Like, like it's a, weird, it's a real nod, it's like, are you sure you went over the evidence? He seems guilty, are you sure? And then, Zach, you brought this up, which I don't think I would have noticed otherwise, the warden of the prison is the one in charge of getting Nash out of the bank. Well, he is well, my number one guy. <laughs> the warden also hates Nash. Every like every man with authority in this movie, this really again speaks to the anti-system thing, <laughs> is like a dick for the sake of being a dick. And I mean, I guess like with the warden you don't mind, but he's so because because I know that the warden thinks he's talking to Nash, but we know he's talking to Ernest. And he's so mean and, like, like uh, brutally unwavering and, like, you're going to die tonight, Nash. Yeah. Is this one of the last conversations you have before you get electrocuted? <laughs> is this guy coming up to you like, you're going to fry like a chicken tonight, Nash. And he also has, if we're naming little things that we kind of liked... Every scene with the warden, I think there's three of them, not including the very end. Um, he has this little bald guy that follows him. And that bald guy is doing this hilarious acting of, like, when the warden is relishing the fact that he's going to kill Nash. Like, the little bald helper guy, the minion guy, is, like, kind of, like, acting with him. Like, but just face acting. So he's, like, got this look in his face, like, yeah, we're going to kill you. And he's, like, nodding. And it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> But then it's like uh, he, the warden himself, surrounding the bank, like with the like that's not his job. Like you, you would never no. find. And the guards don't. The guards leave with him too. So there's a bunch of guards not at the prison. Yeah, a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of pink M bison surround the bank. But it's like that would never happen in real life. Like that, that there's no realism in that. Like the the 
the warden is so out of his jurisdiction that you wonder if he's even doing it legally. Well, <laughs> look, dude, they cast Charles Napier as the warden. They don't need to cast another guy to be the head cop. They'll just use Charles Napier. <laughs> and then they do this thing in the bank to bring out the uh, like the standard police procedure, of course, of chaining three Rottweilers together and sending them in first to deal with Nash. That was so weird. They're that all was yeah. so bizarre. They're yeah. They're just like they make like a sh- shitty like cheapo Cerberus and then yeah. <laughs> release it into the bank and it like walks around and trips a couple people and then walks out. The fact fact that that's there makes me think this whole movie is some kind of Illuminati code. (laughs) (laughs) It's the only thing I can think of. Somehow this movie is actually a retelling of the myth of Orpheus. (laughs) Ernest escapes from the underworld. That's why the prison looks so weird. It's hell. I can't imagine why logistically that would have happened. I can't, I just, it's so bizarre. It's definitely one of those things where it's like, they probably had a... Coke Sams and John Cherry probably had a conversation where they're like, okay, so then he escapes, and then I guess there's cops, and at some point they're like, just fucking, I don't care. It doesn't matter. (laughs) It's just the guards. Who cares? Yeah, it's fine. We don't need to, like, buy more prison gear. I gotta figure out how to make Ernest fly. I don't have time for this. Just three dogs... Three dogs chained together. Yeah, it's like one of them had this idea to like bring that in, and then like the other one was like, yeah, whatever. And then they just have no effect on the scene, and they leave, and then they're never mentioned again. And again, why? I don't know. No, I chained don't. together. I... <laughs> I just don't understand. Uh, and then um, the last thing I wanted to mention is just how the movie ends. Uh, I mean, we're hit with this wonderful song over the credits about coconut trees that doesn't fit at Which all. Which is a a song that earlier in the movie, in like a pretty funny little gag, uh, Chuck dances to that song on the radio. Yeah. Oh. I missed that part. Um, okay. No, I'm remembering Now it makes more sense. Now. Yeah, now I'm on board. I Thanks, thought you man. guys were talking about that while the credits were playing. No. no. We were, Josh and I did not remember that, and we were going, what the hell is this song? Oh. Yeah. Okay, what I couldn't really hear you guys. I thought you guys had, I was, I said like, what the fuck is this song? And then I remembered that it was on the radio. And then you guys were talking and I thought that you were correcting me and telling me that it was from the radio. No, no. You went into your mind palace and Josh were just Obviously. What is this? This makes no sense. (laughs) But what I really want to talk about is just how the movie ends. It just ends. Like, Ernest says, I came, I saw, I got blowed up, the end. Uh, And then we're left to assume that... Ernest, I guess, keeps his job at the bank and Nash goes back to prison and dies? I guess. I think it ends so flatly because what actually happens is Ernest gets up and in a fit of rage breaks Nash's neck. <laughs> he electrocutes Nash to death like he's the fucking... <laughs> he does him like the Emperor does Mace Windu. Yeah, yeah. well, I'm glad we didn't get a Man of Steel ending. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that's that's it. I mean, let's get into high and low points or essentials, unless you guys have anything else. I don't know. I feel like we sort of... Yeah, I'm, I'm done after the You want to do essentials first, or you want to do high and low points? What do you think, Zach, as our guest? Oh, let's do essentials. Okay. So, uh, Nate, why don't you bring up the essentials list, and let's go down that list and see what sticks and what doesn't, and maybe what we might want to add. I mean, this one pretty much has everything. So we got Ernest with a hat and vest. 
check. Uh, he he even has a prison hat and vest. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Ernest is low status with ambition, and there's an element of class struggle. Absolutely. We got, quote, crafts, end quote, man. Totally. 100%. Even more so than the other movies. Yeah. Folksy, quote, wisdom. That's there. Yes. Not as prominent as Saves Christmas, but totally a thing that he does. Uh, we got his catchphrases. He does the, Ew. he does, you know what I mean? He does the snicker. He doesn't do the rabbit one, and I'm wondering if we should just take that off. We should take that off. That was just a gag for camp. I yeah. I let you talk me into it being a catchphrase, even though I knew in my heart it was just a running gag from that movie. Yeah, that was wild. I almost added both of you. Like, that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just like, I, I knew that. I just let I let Josh talk me into putting on the list. Because I was like, eventually we'll go through enough movies where it doesn't happen that he'll let me delete it. Well, now, now, uh, now it's going to be deleted. That day has arrived. <laughs> Slapstick comedy, uh, fourth wall breaking, but sans self-awareness. Uh, that doesn't happen, though. So not, re- not really in this So one. should we take that off? Because that has only know. happened in camp. We've been through three movies, and in two of those movies it hasn't happened. I, I say know. we keep it because I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. Like, we'll yeah. we'll keep it. If we go a couple more movies and it doesn't happen, I'm totally okay with the reason. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, like, like it. highlight it in, like, yellow and say this is something that might not be essential. Okay. This is not a spoiler because I'm not sure, but I think it's going to happen in the next movie. Uh, yeah, I actually I was right dancing around it, but that's what I meant. It definitely happens in the okay. next movie. Yeah, uh, I thought so. Sorry, sorry. We have Gamera esque friend to all children slash child at heart. I think maybe we just delete that first part and just have child at heart. Yeah, I mean he's just as an extension of like him across his movie. He's not a friend to all children because like there's not even a child in this movie. This is my take. This is a perfectly functional Ernest movie where he doesn't t- interact with a child. Showing us that while it is an element that's in a bunch of the movies, I don't think it's completely essential. Like, he can definitely go a movie without talking, t- without interacting with a child. I'm, I don't know if that's going to be the case with our pitch at the end of the season, but I think this has illustrated to us that, like, that is a thing that can be absent from an Ernest movie without necessarily hurting it. Right. Unless you guys think that that hurt it. No, I, I think, like, well... Maybe. Because, uh, like, it didn't... In my mind, I didn't rate it as high as Ernest Goes to Camp. Do you want me to keep it? And then we'll we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll consider it. I think you should keep it. I mean, I'm just a guest, but I think it's a, I, I think it's an essential. I really I'll, I'll keep I it on the worded list. worded exactly that way. I think, like, just like I was mentioning with Fourth Wall Breaking, we put on the back burner. We're like, this is a thing that we think is essential, but might not be. And we well, examine it in the next movie. For me to completely change gears, here's my defense of keeping it, which is, like, Ernest does not interact with a child in this movie, but I don't think he, like, he's still got the energy of friend to all children. If a kid showed up, Ernest would be friends with the kid. Like, just because there's not one in the movie doesn't mean that's not part of his nature. I, yeah, two things to couple with that. I, Rimshot, I, I know Rimshot's a dog, but Rimshot absolutely is filling the role of, like, some neighbor kid or something Oh, totally. Like that. Number one. And number two, it would have been wild to have a kid in this movie oh, totally. and have Nash interact with a kid. No, no, no. That would have been no good. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, I mean, he would have just put the kid in so the trash I, can I with Rimshot. Yeah. <laughs> well, now I want that. See? Um, <laughs> uh, Ernest has a complicated relationship with animals and machines. I mean, he's got the most complicated relationship with machines out of any of them so far. Yeah, I mean, he has Rimshot at the dog, but Rimshot the dog also, like, for some reason he shows up at the bank, and he just watches Ernest get beat up and dribbled like a basketball without helping. So it's like... Rimshot is tiny. Yeah, but still, 
like the Rottweilers come in and Rimshot doesn't have his moment of truth to like help out. So he just like a bystander for that whole thing. So I think like it fits the whole complicated relationship thing where it's like he and Ernest have this bond, but he's not willing to die for Ernest. But wait until the next fucking movie, bro. <laughs> We're t- we can't. We can't keep saying wait till the next movie. We're talking about this movie. I think I... We're getting I to the end of the episode. You... It's fine. I'm hyping people up for the next one. <laughs> okay. I, I, I actually think, if anything, this, this movie is a case for that, that he doesn't have a... Because there isn't... Because his relationship with Rimshot is not complicated. Well, you want me to just take off animals and just say complicated relationship with machines? Yeah. No, because then he has a lobster. He has a complicated relationship with Charlotte. Oh, he, Josh is right. Lobster. He, does, he gets the face lobster. Also, the three. Oh, I forgot about the face lobster. The weird yep, three yep, dogs yep. that we talked about. Like, there's there's stuff. Yeah, yeah. all right. You're right. No, you're we're right. we're keeping complicated relationship with animals and machines. Uh, incompetent yeah. slash inept. Absolutely. Sure. Cartoon violence. Totally. Hundred percent. Overly and quickly confident. I mean, yeah. The, there's the part where he's. When he becomes electrified in the prison and he's doing the trick shots with the lightning, he's like, I'm Ernest P. Worrell, Electro Man. Yeah. Which is yeah. another one of my favorite lines. Uh, I literally wrote in my notes after that classic overconfident Ernest. Yeah, so totally. Now, can't eat. There's food, more food in this movie than the other ones. He talks about food as if he's eaten it. I didn't notice, but Josh is convinced that he never actually puts any food in his mouth. He puts paper in, in his movie, mouth, but he doesn't it. swallow it. Okay. The can't eat thing know. is so weird, and you're so <laughs> hung up on it, Josh. I mean, it's no longer specifically quiche anymore, but I, I'm pretty sure that we never see Ernest eat. And, like, this Can movie, sh- he's in situations where he could put food in his mouth and eat it, but he doesn't. He breads the okay. biscuit, puts it on a plate. Okay. Uh, <laughs> sure. I'm fine with keeping it. I It's baffling to me, but we'll keep it. Uh, next we have the thing where he's a veteran. I want to make a statement about this. I don't think this is an essential element. I think it's a potential character detail that's come up at least once before. But I don't think it's a thing that needs to be in the movie. I don't even necessarily think it's a thing we need to think about when we're thinking about the character of Ernest. Yeah, so we're and not going to cross that off, right? I kind of want to delete that. Yeah. All right. And I think, especially as he moves into being more cartoony, like, the, the weird thing where it's like, yeah, Ernest was in Vietnam is, like, not a thing that we is going to be part of his character. <laughs> oh, Ernest? Oh, yeah. He was in the shit. They dropped him right in the middle of the Mekong Valley. Easily bamboozled slash distracted. Totally happens in this. Yes. Nothing to do with fire, but definitely happens. A supernatural element. Um, he gets a lightning powers. Yeah. If if we don't want to accept the fact that he's immortal, he's at least, like, a mutant. In the X-Men sense. I, I 100% accept the fact that he's immortal. It's clear. You guys are clear, making it more and more clear every week. Uh, the weight of prophecy. So this is questioning, because there's no prophecy in this movie. No, except for ones that we developed on our own. <laughs> there are only prophecies that are external to the movie. I say we delete it. As much as I think it's funny, and as much as I'm going to try and shoehorn it into my perfect pitch, I don't think it's essential that there be some sort of mystical prophecy around Ernest. For sure. Uh, chaos, for sure, here. Oh, I want to uh, just make element. a point, uh, not that we're having an ongoing feud, Zach, uh, but... Chaos in this movie is specifically, again, relegated to Ernest, and that makes it better, I think, than in Ernest Saves Christmas, because in Ernest Saves Christmas, the chaos is more widespread and factors in other people that potentially get hurt or injured by it. Like, this chaos is just Ernest fucking up again, and it works better in my mind. I guess, I, but in a world where, if I can you know, in a world where, like, it's, it's sort of Bugs Bunny rules... 
Like, I don't care when Bugs Bunny might have, like, you know, hurt other people or whatever, because it's just, like, but it's Bugs... low stakes. I understand what you're saying. Counterpoint, saying it... Zach. What? Counterpoint <laughs> to what you're saying, Bugs Bunny never hurts anybody except for his antagonist, and the same is true for Ernest. In Saves Christmas, he hurts bystanders. Bugs Bunny never hurts bystanders. It's always just, like, Elmer Fudd or whoever he's fighting. Uh, or well, tr- you don't know. You don't know in that. There's like, <laughs> what about when he makes planes crash and stuff like that? Yeah, you but don't, like, we don't see the people. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> when Ernest is driving all crazy and stuff, you don't see like. The, well, no, the but we do. Stuff. We do. He saves Christmas. He makes a passenger catatonic and then hurls him like a barrel through the bug- luggage claim. That's funny. That's funny. It is funny. It's but, funny, but uh, it makes him less of an appealing character. Well, I disagree. Those people probably suck. <laughs> okay. Look, I thought that guy was Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and Flea does not deserve <laughs> to be hurled through the luggage. No, it just looked like Flea. I knew exactly what you were talking about. All right, we're, okay. we're deadlocked uh, here. Let's move on. Uh, so Ernest must suffer physically and emotionally, but ultimately triumph. And that 100% hell, happens. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's a big part of why I like this movie so much more than Saves Christmas. As we've established, I'm a twisted and dark individual who loves suffering. And Ernest goes through the fucking ringer in this in a very different way than Camp where he's like, he's failing and shit. In this, it's like, Ernest thinks he's gonna die. He's isolated from the people he loves. He's falsely accused. Like, I love all that shit. And he does triumph. He he has a fucking Superman moment at the end. Yeah, of this he movie. he goes into the next essential, a self sacrifice, which works yeah, for exactly. Ernest. Uh, and then Master of Disguise, which he totally is in this movie. I mean, he he only does the one, but he also pretends to be Nash. It almost works though. So when he becomes the grandma, like if it wasn't for his boobs falling out, he almost made it out of prison doing that. Like that was out of all the plans to get himself out of prison, that was the one that was closest to working. You have a different memory of it than I do. He convinces the guard to let him through. The no, guard he is... doesn't. The guard the entire time is like, what are you doing here, lady? It doesn't make any sense that you'd be here. But he's starting to be like, all right, all right, uh, when the balls hit the ground. Yeah. Okay. Like, if it wasn't for that, it's legitimately plausible that Ernest would have made it out of jail. Uh, I. So do we have anything to add? I want to add I, I have a couple things that I want to bring in. So you start. I think Rimshot's essential. I think we need Rimshot. I love him, and I want him to be, absolutely want him to be in our movie when we pitch the Perfect Ernest movie. Well, can I, um, sure, like, Rimshot's great, but can we just have it that Ernest has a pet? Because, like, if there's a chance no, to bring to be Pokey Rimshot. back, I want to bring Pokey back. I like Pokey. If po- I, I refuse to bring back Pokey at the expense of Rimshot, wow. but I'm perfectly okay with having them both. I think Rim- Rimshot is... Adds a lot more. Like, Pokey's funny, but, like, I don't know if we come up with a gag for Pokey that's funnier than the ones they already did. Mm. But Rimshot's got plenty of potential because he's more of a character. Okay. Man. All right. Fuck Pokey. Argued. Uh, uh, Ignoring Zach, but argued. It's very weird that I'm so defensive of this dog. (laughs) I'm not a dog person, but I fucking love Rimshot. Okay. Rimshot has been (laughs) added to the list. Anything else? Uh, that was really the only one I had that I wanted to add. What All do you right. got, Josh? I have... Uh, I think I brought this up in the previous podcast, but I think we have to just... We've talked about Ernest must suffer physically and emotionally, but I think, in general, what's essential to an Ernest movie is that there just must be a general sadness that is incorporated. Like, one of the best things about Ernest Goes to Camp, we've talked it to death, is the, the sad Ernest song. Uh, and, like, 
a real like big moment of Ernest's triumph is his triumph over sadness in Christmas and in Ernest goes to jail. So I think maybe like just a general sadness element needs to be included. I mean, we talked about it in Christmas too. I remember distinctly saying like, "Oh, there's no awfully glad I'm raining moment." Yeah. In, but there's totally What's in this. The, yes. Like, when he's the awfully glad I'm raining moment in this, the date rape scene. No. no. Well, the when, the, he when he's, he's psyching die. himself up to like not die. Oh, okay. There's like a, right. they, both of these movies have a moment where Ernest hits the lowest point, and he we see him kind of like stay there for a while. They don't immediately resolve the like the sadness intention. And I, I'm with Josh. I think that's essential. Like that, the the these movies have such like a wacky pace that I feel like they definitely need that low moment before Ernest triumphs. Like I mean, I don't necessarily think this needs to be a separate thing from Suffers and Triumphs, but I'm perfectly willing to put sadness and or sorrow on the list. Because, as I've established, I fucking love that shit. I've come with a perfect way to word this, uh, so hear me out, and you can argue this, uh, but I think what we need to add to the list is that Ernest has to hit rock bottom. Sure. I'm okay with that. Ernest has to hit rock bottom. And he has to come back from it. He'll bounce from it. But he has to hit it. Yeah, I think this is like essentially a modifier to the Suffer and Triumph thing, where it's like, he not just suffer, but like we need Ernest to. He needs to lose, like fully lose before he can win. Right. Sure. Okay. Uh, cool. I also uh, wanted to suggest maybe that uh, Ernest has impressions as part of his. Yeah. I mean, we could, it could so. just be another modifier to Master of Disguise, but like. The impressions in this movie worked, and the John Wayne impression was a weird addition to Ernest Saves Christmas, but is that an Ernest essential? I think it's an I essential. Think, I think that yeah, having impressions you is... Should, a, hmm? You should couple it with Master of Disguise. I think that's a perfect way to, like... But I, It's related. Yeah, but I think the thing with, like, with Master of Disguise is, like, he he has to use that to try and get something, but the impressions can just be a gag. Like, you get what I'm saying? You, you yeah, know what I mean? They, they're not, yeah, they're not related. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not mutually exclusive. But they come from the same place, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zach, how do you feel about our essential elements? Do you think that we have missed anything? Do you think there needs to be anything added or taken away? No. No, I, I commented as you guys went. Those are my tips and my takes. I feel like you guys okay. are nailing it. Okay, you're, so we have... You're honing in on what makes Ernest Ernest. Thank you. That was the goal. Because uh, we all want to be Ernest. So, and that's not something I'm just, you know, extrapolating on to other people. Nope, it's just that's our goal. Uh, moving on. Uh, so we've added a couple things. Uh, we've covered a lot with that. Uh, I think what we have left is the high and low points. So, uh, Zach, uh, as our guest, uh, do you want to start with your high point or your low point? I can knock them both out right now. High point is the pen stuff. Low point is the forced on scene. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, it. for me, high point is the final fight with uh, Nash. Just that whole oh, yeah. completely ridiculous, like, flying around, electrified, three dogs, like... All that was gold. I love that. That, that. That's my high point. And my low point is exactly the same as Zach. I feel like it's hard to pick. A, if I had to pick a different low point, I don't even know what I would pick. Like, maybe just 
No, that's it. That's got to be it. I, I that's got to be my low point. So uh, I had a couple high points. Uh, you already mentioned the floating fight, which is great. The pen scene, which is great. Um, mm-hmm. The lightning Frankenstein, just in general, of him getting out of jail is awesome. That might be my high point. His Superman sacrifice, great. Uh, the whole poodle smurf bit, great. Uh, oh right, that's yeah, that's a good. The one. for me, like the M I me scene where he's so confused about this dual reality of there being another Ernest is fantastic. And also, there's this one thing we haven't talked about, where when Ernest is knocked out, he like sees Lyle before he gets like fully like conked out, but he like sees it through like a dazed vision. And uh, later, when he like gets to his prison cell and realizes he's actually in jail, he has to bonk himself on the head again to recognize Lyle. And then he pulls a guard aside to say, hey, that's a prisoner. I shouldn't be here. And then he bonks that guard's head on the prison cell. So he will also recognize Lyle. Uh, and this just this small detail of a scene just got me. Yeah, I want to like that ties into a point we were making earlier about like Ernest mostly hurts himself pretty much anytime he hurts another person in this movie it's prison guard uh, which is good and and righteous and I agree with it he calls them all screw which is an interesting (laughs) detail for him to know yeah well we know that Ernest watches a ton of movies because that's all because of all the pop culture references he makes yeah I guess yeah Uh, so Low point, definitely, uh, the victim stuff and the attempted force upon scene with Charlotte. Uh, so Yeah, I think, unfortunately, the entire Charlotte thing is sort of the low point. And I guess maybe, all right, just to get away from that and the darkness of that stuff, I guess also there's a bit of a low point in the Chuck and Bobby could have been, like, that's mm-hmm. a mine we could have dubbed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. If we're trying to determine the the overall high point, I am going to shift my allegiance and agree with Zach about the pen thing because it's it is hilarious. Okay, uh, I'm going to stick with the mi me part as my ultimate uh, high point of this movie. Well, you're outvoted. That well, am I? I'm not. Am, am I me is really good. I didn't. You're making me think of it more now. I didn't really. Not so much. I didn't pick up on it. It just seems so like. The more I think about it, the more that's that's very funny. But I, yeah, the pen thing is just undeniable for me. It's, also, it's so good. If I had to, though, this is like this is separate from all the like figuring out the highest high point. My my favorite like seconds of the movie is he's polarized. <laughs> <laughs> like that that's exactly the kind of like that appeals so much to my sense of humor. The like, mm-hmm, yep, totally. <laughs> He's polarized, but <laughs> but uh, the pen thing is like the I think is the best like gag and like the best like sequence of like physical comedy in the movie, and that's you know that's like the I think a lot of the core of the earnest you know humor is that physical yeah. humor. Yeah, I mean the impressions are great too. I guess that impression thing. I told you guys, I like. The, there's a weird Venn diagram there with that and the first Ninja Turtles that I mm-hmm. it's like sticking in my craw. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's totally like I mean, you, we we talked about it when we were watching the movie, but it's like there's a I think there is a lot of overlap between like Ernest and Michelangelo, <laughs> like the with the pop culture references, and it's just like them being kind of annoying mm-hmm. in like an endearing right. way, which is also like a Pee Wee Herman thing. Yeah. 
So uh, if Zach agrees with you that's the highest point is the pen scene, uh, then that'll just win the highest point. Um, but is it a higher point for the Ernest franchise than the Pokey and the uh, Turtle Song, Turtle Paratroopers scene? Here's my pitch for... Okay, I love the Turtle Paratroopers. It's completely absurd, which we've established, like, I like when things are absurd. Uh, but my pitch for the pen thing being better is that the turtle thing, like, doesn't have Ernest in it. Mm. This is a thing that's funny right. because it's Ernest doing it. Yeah. Okay. So then that'll win the highest high point for, like, continuing on with our perfect pitch. Uh, I think what we need to include in that is just, like, the vaudeville nature of it. Uh, because that's what really brings it in, is, like, you could separate that thing from that movie and, as a scene in itself, just be perfect. So I think uh, we should definitely include that in our notes. Yeah, I'm putting it down as Ernest does a vaudeville bit where he bites a pen. Yeah, perfect. Uh, and then it sounds like we're all in agreement on the lowest point of this film, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it so could done, it could have done is I think it's is the attempted rape scene. It's worse. It's worse than that. It's worse than him being mean to a kid. I, like two I couldn't even movie. get that sentence out. It's like, I was thinking about this today, too, because it was like, I made this whole defense of putting the mean to a kid thing as the low point. Over-cultural appropriation? But it's like, I can't do it. It's like, in this moment, I can't make that argument. This is definitely worse. It's so uncomfortable. It's so gratuitous. I think the way we should word it, if we're putting it down as the worst thing, is like, specifically, gratuitous threat of assault. Maybe just gratuitous threat. Yeah, gratuitous threat of assault. That's perfect, yeah. But I, I, but Josh, what you just said, like, is it worse in cultural appropriation? I don't know if we're the guys. Here's the thing. Like, no one should read into this as us making statements about, like, the entirety of culture and, like, universal no. morality. We're a bunch of goofballs talking about a fucking earnest movie. <laughs> Like, yeah, and we, just like the writers of that film and all that kind of stuff, we can't help the times that we're living and the stuff that we're forced to think about now. And, you know, like, it was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't great. It wasn't I'll say, great. I'll say this though, like, the stuff with the Native American stuff in Goes to Camp made me like, was like, made me like groan. Like, I was like, Ugh, come on. This made me like legitimately uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 I was like, yeah. oh, I don't want to be watching this. Whereas with the, the Native American stuff, I was mostly just like, well, this is unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. well, there we have it. Uh, so we've covered all that ground. Uh, where do we, where, what's next? Uh, I think we kind of teased it, but like, let's, let's lay it out. What is next in our earnest journey? We're, we're going to get scared stupid. Oh man. Oh, As if jail wasn't scary enough. I, yeah. this, this, isn't a spoiler, but this movie, like, legitimately scared me. I had nightmares for a while. My dad, there was a rule in my house afterwards that we couldn't watch any Ernest movies because my dad's not from this country, so he, like, couldn't understand that they weren't all scary. Like, no. um, so, like, it really <laughs> messed me up. There's one scene in particular, after you guys watch it, if you want to know, I'll tell you which scene it is. But um, it just it lives in my consciousness in a dark, dark place. I envy you guys. I, I you know, I, I, I wanted that episode real, real bad <laughs> because I knew about the, the. Yeah, I'm familiar with this film, so uh, I'm looking forward to it. Oh, Josh! Oh my God, you stole something from me last week when you revealed that you guys were aware of uh, Son of Ernest. 
<laughs> I was I was looking forward to it. like I oh there's no way these guys know about this. Wait till I tell them. No, we're we're educated Ernest scholars, and we have done our homework. Okay, and we know about Son of Ernest. I'm so sorry to burst your bubble, but uh, well, we've we've done our homework. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm about to blow your bubble because I said earlier in the episode I have a I have a crazy reveal for the end of the episode. All right, if we're wrapping up, we are wrapping up. Give us give us this reveal. Right. Blow blow our right. minds as the next Ernest movie might. I, I am the son of Vern. <laughs> <laughs> now you have to cut in. You guys going? Whoa! <gasps> what? <gasps> That's all I got. <laughs> so, no, but seriously, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Uh, really, yeah, thanks uh, for being here. I had a great time. Yeah, thanks for joining us. We hope you can join us again. Uh, it was a pleasure having you. Uh, and I think we're going to end here. Um, so with that being said, fellow listeners, until next time, remember, there's a right and wrong in the universe. And the distinction is not hard to make. You know what I mean? Dolly, you, Vern. But now you gotta move, Vern.